Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Psychic's Thoughts. Today we're going to be discussing a topic that uh, just kind of came to me, but I've thought about this a lot, right? I don't know who exactly listens to this podcast, whoever whoever you are. Uh, I appreciate you deeply, so thank you for lending your ear and giving your time. I do understand that time is the most one of the more valuable commodities that we could uh, share, right? Um, and so I know I go on tangents. I know I'm freestyling this kind of off the top, so it's not as time efficient as some other forms of media, but I figure because podcasts are usually longer format, you can listen to it passively while doing other things, and I still try to keep it on point and, and focused, and, and it allows me to come up with new things, right? I feel like in terms of talking about, you know, certain topics, if I pre-write and prescribe thir- certain thoughts to it, um, it, it stays boxed in that point because I'm I'm pushing to get that point out instead of doing that, but also just allowing new thoughts to come in and possibly change the dynamic, right? I feel like in this way, it's more of a almost a lecture, if you will, and or uh, I, I would like to consider it more of a conversational type of dialogue, even though it is one way, which then, of course, makes it more of a lecture. But I, I want it to be more natural, so that's why I record it this way. It's partially why. It's also for the convenience of my time and my energy, right? So I appreciate you deeply. Of course, you can check out my main content, the real stuff that I'm putting out there through my films and through my music. You can check out Psychus Productions, P-S-Y-K-U-S Productions on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, as well as my music and my Instagram and my personal short films through Psychic, P-S-Y-K-I-C-K, capital P, capital K, all one word, on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, also on all streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, wherever you listen to music, you can check out my latest albums. I've got a new album on the way. It's very exciting, and I'll have more news on that uh, as we come a little closer to the release date. So thank you all again for being so supportive and listening to me as I rant and talk about video games and other things. And uh, yeah, so today I want to discuss some of the intricacies and kind of what if you're a gamer, what you may relate uh, to, what it's like to be a gamer, you know, and uh, an, an avid uh, fan and or uh, video game enthusiast or hobbyist uh, who consistently plays video games uh, weekly and monthly, um, what it's like, some of the things that we as gamers go through, some of the some of the pros, some of the cons, some of the things that people who don't game as consistently may not realize, um, and some of the reasons why it is such a powerful hobby and why it's so important to so many of our lives. So, the life of a gamer. Let's get into it. Alright, so in the morning, you get up, you touch yourself a little bit, make yourself feel good. You grab a cup of coffee or your caffeinated beverage or such. If you're an adult, if you're a kid, you just wake the fuck up somehow. Uh, and you get right on your console if you have nothing better to do. <laughs> I'm kidding, mostly. But, um, no, in, in all honesty, it's one of those things where I feel weird, honestly. I, I feel weird sometimes, right, when I talk about video games. Because I, I love video games. I do. 
I, I've talked about this enough, and I'll, I'll just reiterate real quick. Video game is an art form. As much as it is part of the entertainment industry, which it is, and as much of technological innovation as it is, and it's very much that as well, it's also an art form. You've got cinematics. You've got beautiful writing. You've got lore and atmosphere. You've got art design from from schematics, sketches, concept art, paintings even, depending on the scale of the game and stuff like that, uh, in pre-production all the way up to, you know, full rendered 3G, 3D CGI graphics, things of that likeness, right? Or even if it's a smaller game, 8 by 8 bit pixel art, which is its own art form, and not easy to do and make look good and work. Right, you've got coding, you've got all these aspects that are coming alive. You've got visual, audio, acting, right, writing, uh, uh, visual art, painting, illustrating. You've got music composition. You know what I mean? You've got a little bit of every art form touching video games, and I feel like part of that and and technology, right? You've got coding. You know, you've got agency. You've got choices. You've got um, that added layer of tangible, interactable experiences, which I think really, really changes the dynamicism for the consumer. So I think in so many ways, video games is an ultimate hodgepodge collection or form of some of the best. But of course, video games in its own regard, even though it combines all these elements, is its own thing. Film and television combines a uh, metric fuckton. In fact, almost all of the same things. And, and in fact, nowadays it does. Except the interactability part of it. It it involves computer graphics and CGI. It involves... It actually involves more in the visual side of it. With storyboards and concept art. And scenic painting. And all these other components to it. Uh, writing, of course. Acting, directing. Hell, catering. A lot of, a lot of people who are in the culinary industry... <laughs> they don't understand that if you make a, um, say you make your own little cooking company or culinary business, if you create a a menu system or a an order system that is designed for crews of certain groups of people, that's, you know, hopefully profitable for you and, and your business, but also is fair for the crew budget, and it, I mean is a warm, nutritious meal to some extent, uh, and if you're in a film-based area, good, good job. <laughs> You've made it. I mean, you, you're good. F film crews have to be fed. People don't realize this, you know, who aren't in film, of course. People who are in film know this, of course. But per union, per contract, per just general decency as well, you have to have a warm meal for at least 30 minutes and for every uh, six hours you're on set. Most sets go for 12 hours, so that's two warm meals. That's either, that's, it's usually lunch and dinner. Um, or as we call lunch and lunch. <laughs> lunch and lunch too. But anyway. Um, yeah, so we order, I mean, usually film sets, even if they're small budget, they, we order food, you know. And then on top of that, we have crafties, right? We have snacks and stuff for the low points throughout the day in between the big meals. Right, that's all required legally, and it helps the crew. I can't tell you because you're working so much, you're so physically drained. You, 
I'm not like a particular, I, I love food, don't get me wrong, but I'm not like a person who's like a big foodie, and I'm not someone who's like constantly eating and cooking for themselves, you know, I'll take whatever, but when I'm on a film set, I become a foodie, <laughs> I will eat whatever's in front of me, I really, I become so hungry, especially when I'm doing crew work and boom up and stuff that's more physically intensive, right, so even the culinary side of things is heavily involved in the film production side to to an extent that people don't realize it's invaluable to the well-being of the crew during the production of the film right and it's something you wouldn't really think of makeup hairstylists costume designers i mean the whole nine yards is in film and television alike right so there's a lot involved in film too and i'll never say there isn't i'm i i love video games as much as the next person but i'm a filmmaker i love films more <laughs> and it's one of those things where as much as i love video games and love to play them on my free time and one of my favorite things as a hobbyist and i'll get it more into the life of being a video game player i don't like when people compare it and say oh video games are better than movies well that's fine if you if you prefer to play video games over watching movies well that's a-okay but don't say they're better neither are better there are instances where a movie is better than a video game, and a video game is better than a movie. It just depends on what you're comparing against, and it depends on what you're expecting. I love movies. I'm not always going to sit down and watch a movie. In fact, when I'm coming back home from work, or when I'm done working on my own film productions, the last thing I want to do that night is watch a movie. That's for damn sure. I want to unwind. I want to kick back and play some video games and play with my buddies. I don't want to talk or think about movies for the next few hours, you know. I still do, but I, I don't want to, like, watch a movie and become all analytical and think about it, you know. But I, I still love film. It's my great passion and love. I love hip-hop as well. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, Music, it's kind of its own thing. It's not compared as similarly to video games and film, right? So anyway, I just want to get that across. But the life of playing, the, the life of a gamer is one of those things, you know, for me, it, it, there's, a lot, there's more pros than cons. I think it is one of the better hobbies you can pick up. And I'm not making this podcast to say you should be a gamer too. If you are already one, I hope that you might relate to some of this and I hope you might learn from some stories, some anecdotes, or some facts that I may be dropping along the way. Like I said, I do this off the top. I just talk about a general topic and see what I feel about it and keep on going. So who knows what I'll uncover, but we'll get to that in the future. Um, but yeah. Um, of course, anything done in excess or imbalanced disproportionately to your lifestyle is not healthy right so i'm not going to advocate for sitting around and playing video games all day every day 18 hours a day right but i'm not the type of person who's going to harsh on somebody's lifestyle choices if it doesn't harm or or hurt or take away from from someone else's life choices right when when they do when someone is doing something that is actively harming hurting putting in danger or taking away the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness of others, that's when I have a problem. But if you're just doing your own thing and it's really not hurting anybody, may God's speed be with you. I just hope the best for you, right? So, um, but I, uh, personally, I don't think it's healthy for in any, in any sense to obsessively do one thing in an, in an imbalanced way, right? 
But the way we gauge that is different and the way people can handle that is different. So it's not very fair. Some people look at me and think, oh my God, all he does is sit around in his room. And this is something I want to touch on because I've been thinking about this a lot, right? See, the people who know me well know exactly what I do and they know how hard I work because they might have to hear sometimes how the sausage is made, right? They might hear me talk about how I'm directing my latest film or what I've been doing writing a film and a TV show at the same time and or finishing an album and or doing all of the above at the same time while leading a music group or whatever, right? They may hear those inner workings. Hell, my buddies, when, when we last a uh, couple months ago, right, when we were getting on, I remember there was one night, one day where I decided to be an idiot and I, <laughs> I took it upon myself to learn how to make a CGI short film in Unreal Engine 5, right, which is the free free access to those who have computers who can that have enough horsepower to boot right but um it's a software where you build video games or cgi shorts and stuff it's got a lot of pre-made assets you can make your own you can rig and animate them it's not easy at all but it's accessible to all because it's free and it has a lot built into it and it's Mandalorian uses it. Um, a lot of films and television shows now use Unreal Engine for backdrops, for dynamic backdrops, on top of scenic painting, green screens, and other things. People think that like all of Hollywood and everyone is just using digital s backgrounds and stuff. And the reason why I point this out is my girlfriend's a scenic painter in theater, and of course would be in film. Just she's a scenic painter and she's fucking phenomenal at it. And She's been told by people who don't live in L.A. and haven't been in the film industry that the film industry is where the money is when you want to be a scenic painter. Theater, of course, is too. Those are the two main places where making scenic paint backdrops for these things are viable, right? Obviously. And she's been told that in film, their scenic painters are becoming antiquated. And I keep telling her, I'm like, yeah, sure, in some instances, it's not... That's not a lie, but it's also, that's only top 1%. That's like Marvel films and stuff. And let's be honest with ourselves, they, they never started with scenic painting. They do have scenic paintings for Marvel things, though, here and there, and for those big 1%, and they actually have them for reference. And they're very, very, very fucking important, because they're there until the very end. So it gives reference to everybody on set, it is captured on camera, and it's actually, a lot of the times, it's interpolated with the CGI. So they're actually just adding VFX and CGI for motion and for polish and to make it look more 3D, like you're walking into it, right? They can do that sometimes. Or it's just concept art. And sometimes that might seem a little degrading, I understand, because it's not shown in the final product. But be very, very clear, the scenic painting as a concept art is vital. If that wasn't true, Star Wars wouldn't be... Star Wars. Ralph McQuarrie, an architect and a scenic painter, and just a general painter, um, drew and painted all the concept art for Star Wars. And the way, the style of Star Wars is because of his paintings. And when you go, I mean, obviously they're a little different, right? But when you look at his paintings, you can see exactly why Star Wars looks the way it does. And then he was contracted, and this is in the 70s and 80s, right? To actually make the backdrops before CGI and all these VFX. So it's still very viable and valuable. So anyway, just want to throw that out there for those who care. <laughs> but 
Um, one of the things that I think about a lot, right, let me get back to being the life of a gamer, right, I'm trying to reduce my tangents here, is when I close the door and when people, not that a lot of people see me in general, but I feel like when people hear what I'm doing, those who do, um, right, or I, I kind of think of it in a larger sense, if people saw me in my daily life, without knowing what I'm thinking, without knowing exactly what I'm doing behind closed doors, they're just looking at it like a, a, a peer. You know, they see me in class, they see me at work, whatever. We talk for a minute, share some ideas, and then if they watched me go back home and go into my apartment and close my room, my door, and not come out for a day or two, <laughs> they don't realize what I'm doing in here, Right? And I think in a lot of gamers, it's been instilled in us by our parents to not, oh, don't waste yourself away on that idiot box <laughs> when I was little. Even though my parents were always okay with me gaming and having certain games, and ultimately they supported it. They understood it was healthy for me, and they understood I found great solace in it. Solace? Is that the right word? I, I enjoyed it a lot. But they never allowed me to play it too much and they never allowed me to play video games in replacement of doing something I should be doing or that they think would be helpful at that developmental learning process that I was at whatever age I was at right you know if I was sick if I was home I've had nothing better to do sure uh, when I finish my homework and I finish my chores if I had any at that age you know I, I don't think I started getting chores until I was nine or ten you know, I mean, I, you know, I had to help dad outside with the yard work and stuff when I was little, but, you know, I didn't have to start doing more chores and stuff till I was younger. I mean, I'm sorry, till I was a little older. And then, of course, teenage years was different, right? But my point is that um, through all that, I, uh, I had to do the necessary things first. I had to get through school. I had to finish my homework. I had to finish chores or or whatever, or help around the house, or help my family with something if they needed that, whatever may be on the ticket for the day. And then I can sit down and game until dinner. And then dinner and family time. And then probably bed before school, depending on when school started. Depending, I mean, if it was a weekend, I can go back and game and stay up. And, of course, as I got older, that became more and more an option. And now that I'm an adult and I live on my own, you know, I... Yeah, I'm not the healthiest, but I'm, I was never one of those kids that like stayed up to like 3 a.m. gaming before my 6 a.m. wake up time for school. I was never that. I think my parents were most strict about two things. I mean, they were strict about many different things throughout life. They never, they were, but I've, I've had very phenomenal parents who were always very kind and open and I'm very thankful for the way they raised me. They're not perfect. And not every moment was, you know, serene, but I can't say it was a bad childhood. It was an absolutely phenomenal one. And one of the things, I remember a couple of the things my parents were really big on enforcing, like, consistently. Going to bed at a certain hour. Like, early enough. Not like, oh, 6 p.m., your bedtime. But like, 8.30, p.m. when I was a kid, right? Like, no electronics, not like, hard cutoff. Unless we were watching a movie together, which I feel like <laughs> partially probably fed into me becoming a filmmaker, but I don't know. <laughs> right? Things like that. And then violence. 
vi the way the way my folks handled violence in terms of media and stuff was very interesting, right? Um, uh, so, you know, movies and tele obviously of once I was an appropriate age, you know, assuming that like they they weren't they didn't want me to see gore and violence and stuff when I was too young to where it'd scar me or where I wouldn't understand. Of course, most parents would want that, right? But then. Beyond that, saying that's the baseline, that that's just how that works. For video games, video games were was funny enough where they were most strict with violence because they understood. And I, I hated it at the time, but I didn't. But I kind of got it. Like I, I mean, they explained why. They were never like, oh no, you can't play that violent game because it's violent. No, they actually explained more in depth why they didn't want me to play that game at that age. You know? Because they were like, you don't understand the consequences, and we don't understand the science of how this is going to affect your developmental cycle yet. There's not enough data out on video games, right? This is the early 2000s, right? This is 2007 to 2014, right? Which I get sort of early 2000s. And it's like, I mean, 2007, folks, is when COD 4, Modern Warfare, came out. That's when Bioshock came out. That's when Assassin's Creed came out. That's when Gears of War came out. That's when Halo 3 came out. I mean, it was a crazy time for... And that's when GTA 4 came out, I think. Oh, maybe not. Maybe it was San Andreas. I don't remember. Anyway, my point is... Maybe it was GTA 3. My point is that, um, in, in general, that... Violent games became more hyper-realistic in this generational jump to the 360 and PS3 era than ever before, right? You know? Long, gone were the days of Mortal Kombat, and I wasn't even alive during that, so that didn't matter, right? I mean, Mortal Kombat's still going, but like when Mortal Kombat came out and the Supreme Court had to come in, and that's how the ESRB rating was installed, because parents were like, um, how... Do this is too gory. And that's fair. They were decapitating people and six and seven year olds were playing it because it was an arcade game and they didn't know better. I get it. I I'm not against a general, you know, system that rates things. I, I don't love how it so heavily impacts creativity and the financials of things, especially in film, right? But it is what it is. I do understand why it's there. Anyway, so I couldn't get M games for the longest fucking time, and I've talked about this before, right? So this is what it was like as an early kid. I guess I'll go in chronological order of my life, right? And and then pull things and, you know, branch out on topics. So, um, yeah, as a kid, right, parents were always supportive of games. They they understood the value in that. And, um, and so it was fun games, you know, it was, it was Super Mario and stuff like that. They understood the science in the positive light on how it actually helps with hand-eye coordination, fine motor skills, puzzle solving, logistics, and some other things, and how it was just entertaining. And it allowed problem solving and overcoming adversity in a healthy and very safe way. They also understood that it did keep me safe, but didn't forced me, it, like, it prevented me from going out and doing stuff that, you know, not always, I still went out and did stuff, but it, but that's where my socialization was later, and so they understood the value in that, especially because I moved around a lot, but I'll get to that later. So, 
they understood that. They also understood on the flip side that if I'm introduced in the violent video games more quickly, and they weren't just basing it off oh, some of the science in the news that was kind of out there. They understood that that science was not complete because the science was hardly in. They actually, and I learned this later, my parents based it off of my friends who had violent video games. Because, you know, they talked to their parents. and Listen, my parents didn't care if other kids were allowed to play violent video games. They didn't care. They, they weren't going to intervene. They were like, okay, that's cool, you know. They, their parents are okay with them, and maybe they're ready for that, or maybe they, they don't mind that, or this or that, you know, but they're like, not, not our son, not right now, not yet, and they weren't so strict where it was like, you can't ever touch one, you can't look at one, like, if I went to friend's house, they were fine with me playing video games there, because they knew it was a brief window, and they knew I was playing with a friend, and they understood that if I wasn't allowed to play a rated M game, at my friend's house, and my friend's house only were playing M games, that that would kind of kill the vibe. <laughs> they understood that, so they they were pretty open. As they were pretty flexible and open, considering that they weren't allowing me to play M games, and to me, and I and I remember this actually in an interesting way. To me, I it never like it didn't deeply bother me. It was I was never mad or upset with my parents. I just wanted M games. It actually just made me grind for it, I guess. I was just like, okay, all right. Well, once I'm that age, like, it made me really look forward to get to, you know, to do it. So, yeah. Um. Anyway, so... Uh, I just wanted to get older. I just want <laughs> I, I, you know, I was like, okay, well, once I'm 14, 15, 16, whatever, once I'm of appropriate age. And they weren't going strictly by the rated M. They weren't, they understood that waiting till I was 17, right? Because I was already 8, 9, 10 when I wanted rated M games. They're like, we're not going to make them wait almost 10 years. That's ridiculous. They were basically just playing it by, you know, playing it by ear and seeing when they thought I was ready. And to be fair, when I was younger, a lot of violent and scary imagery scared the piss out of me and caused a lot of issues. And thank God they held off on some of these things because we didn't know for the longest time that I had OCD intrusive thoughts. I mean, I was experiencing them, but I didn't know how severe and how debilitating they were. And at the time when I was little and I didn't know how to process these things, more violent imagery that showed up actually didn't help. Once I learned what it was and started going to therapy and started managing it, then, funny enough, the reverse happened, and I started realizing that I'm already having these violent, intrusive, horrifying... I mean, I'll tell you, people nowadays, and, and this is great that in society right now, in 2023, social media is making it more open and less of a stigma to have intrusive thoughts, and to be completely honest, everybody has them. The violent thoughts that flood in that have no premeditated plan or intention of execution. They're just a thought. They're just your brain firing off and emotions kind of flooding in like, ah, oh, wish I could just punch my boss in the fucking face. Right? Oh, I wish I could bash his head in. Whatever, right? I don't know how other people, how violent or how, you know, intense they get, but they, they can vary for all people, right? Everyone gets them. That's not the problem. That's fine. The difference with OCD intrusive thoughts is they're so much more violent.
Um, they're so much more extreme. And they're way more fucking frequent. They're not every once in a blue moon when somebody's, when you're angry. They are three to four to five to six times a day, regardless of how you feel. You don't want them, hence why they're intrusive. And with OCD, they stay stuck in your head. They repeat. And they are very vivid, very violent, and they take you out of your day. They will knock you on your ass. It's really hard to fully explain it, but it's, it's your mind betraying you. And it's very powerful. And it's very disturbing. And when you're a kid and you're having them, but you don't fully comprehend what the hell it is, it's very, very fucking weird. I still, like, looking back on it, I still don't know how exactly my parents do. They understood how it started to manifest, but, like, I don't fully understand when I, what it looked like when I was a kid. I can't remember now. It's been so long. It's been so many intrusive thoughts in between that time frame, right? But, so they understood that certain imagery... Might be too much, right? And it wasn't because I couldn't logistically or mentally handle it. Well, mentally, sure, sure. But it was because of the OCD that we didn't know of. Once I was diagnosed and I started managing it, that's when things started to change, right? In 2008, 2009, once I was, di I was diagnosed, I think in 2009, actually, I started managing it, right, more and more. And so by 2010-ish, I went to my first OCD International Conference. We moved across the state for the first time. This is very important to note. That was the time I was allowed to get my first rated M game. <laughs> and it was right before we moved, actually. It was like six months before we moved. And the thing is that part... Okay, so part of the reason why I was able to get that game is because I was being gradually introduced into more violent video games. I remember I had this game on 360 called James Bond Bloodstone. 007 Bloodstone, which is, you know, based off, like, the Daniel Craig James Bond films. That that game still, to this day, I maybe it's dated. It was fucking dope. <laughs> it was a really cool action game that was tied in with a licensed movie, right? Um, it was T. My parents were more okay with those kinds of games because they were violent. They had some violence in them, but they weren't graphically violent. You know what I mean? They didn't, you know? And so I had that, and I, 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 but at the time, and I mentioned this in a previous podcast episode, I forget which one, at the time, this, I swear to God, it, it's so weird how video games has impacted my life throughout and how it's benefited me in ways I can't even comprehend. And one of those ways is, I swear to God, it has made me a better researcher and a better presenter. <laughs> of ideas, which is valuable in film and college and every other thing in life right now. Pitches and right, getting people to believe in you. <laughs> it's very, very important. And it started at a young age. Right? Now, I was raised in the theater, so I also had some experience in that regard. But more so, funny enough, trying to convince my parents that, oh, this game is good for my health, <laughs> right? Or, oh, it's not that bad. And I wasn't lying. I wasn't bullshitting. I wasn't like, oh, Call of Duty. It's a history game through and through. No, I wasn't trying to do that. I was doing it on games I genuinely knew that was even generally allowed, like T games. And I remember for the 007 Bloodstone, I was already into making movies. I saw one of the Daniel Craig James Bond movies at the time. Right, seven or eight is when I decided I really wanted to, I, like I was getting into how films were made and I was excited about it, right? And I was making my own homemade movies and I was watching more movies and I was allowed to watch movies that were a little older 
you know. So for films and television, my parents, right, other than some extremely graphic horror movies, right, other than that, my parents were really open for me seeing things that were way beyond my age. And to this day, my roommate, who's in film, my business partner for Psychus Productions, you know, when we go see movies, when we talk about movies, he's like, have you seen this? I'm like, yes, but no. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, <laughs> I saw it a long time ago. He's like, how long ago? I'm like, I don't know, 15 years ago? They're like, He's like, geez, when you were eight? I'm like, yeah. He's like, did you? Um, and I'm like, so, yeah, I'm down to see it again because I haven't seen it since then and I didn't get it. But I, I remember that it was kind of cool or whatever, you know. <laughs> Especially comedy movies. My parents were always okay with me seeing comedy movies. They, they, they understood that, you know, raunchiness, sex, all that, you know, of an age. But they also knew, like, they're not stupid. They're like, he doesn't get it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> It'll be fine. We just teach him the birds and bees, and we teach him the appropriate things later and reinforce it, and, and I think they did a, f a fine job in that. And I, I, I mean, we've talked, me and my parents have talked about this before, uh, and I agree with them in some regards. I, I think the censorship of sex is a little extreme. Obviously, really graphic sex scenes for people who are younger we all agree that's not, you know, that's not appropriate. It's of an age. We, you know, my parents understood that. That's what they did with me. So it's not like they're that unconventional. But they do find it weird in general how society, we're more okay with allowing extreme violence to be shown and not as highly censored as much as some sort of sexual scenes. Partial nudity, right? Some of the most beautiful paintings in the world have nudity. Nudity doesn't need to be a horrendous thing. Obviously, like pornography or violent sex, right? That's different, but just some nudity, right? Or showing cleavage, or show, right? Who cares, right? That's not as big of a deal. But showing somebody getting shot in the face, even if it cuts away before it sees the bullet impact in this brain matter, oh, it's PG-13. But if you see some cleavage or a side boob, it could be considered rated R, depending on the time. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. And my parents always thought, that's a little much. Like, yeah, sure, the extreme graphic sex doesn't need to be shown, and it could be rated R, that's fine, but, like, the the subtleties and some of the the more, the less extreme and explicit sexual innuendos and things and, and it doesn't need to be as censored as violence. That's, you know, different folks, different strokes, right? I, I don't disagree with them there. I do think it's wild how in American culture we we censor so much sexual freedom and expression and art over violence, pure violence. And I, hey, don't get me wrong, I love violent movies in video games. I do. I have a, I love them so much, but I, I don't understand why we censor those things so much more, right? Doesn't make sense to me either. But anyway, um, so they were more open to like comedies and things that were a little more risque. Then again, I didn't get them, so it didn't fucking matter, did it? Like, who cares, right? Uh, it didn't scar me and nothing like that. So, but because I was into films, because I was making films, I was able to watch some of the James Bond movies, some of the classics, some of the new ones. And uh, so, couple that with my film thing. And then I remember I, I had to make a presentation in the living room to my parents. And I had, I didn't have a PowerPoint, but I showed them an IGN review. Because even even to this day, IGN, say what you will about their actual final review score, I don't. I don't always love how they finalize their scores, but I do like how they give in-depth analysis, show, show the gameplay, 
show some of the intentions, show some of the things you may or may not see, and uh, do it in a very summarized, quick video that's pretty time efficient, right? It was really cool. So I remember I showed them the review of that. It had good reviews. They were like, oh, it looked like the game at the time. The graphics were pretty cutting edge, right? Or, I mean, it looked like the movie. And so they were okay with it. It was only 30 bucks, too. My God, what a time. And so it was like, and they got it for me um, once I got a certain good grade. So it was tied to me doing good in school as well. So, it, you know, it was okay. And it was a great game. I had a blast. Oh, my God, I love that game. It's like part of my childhood. And... That allowed the gradual progression in my, my, I have to admit I was pretty cunning at the time because I knew that if it's just a matter of time and I also knew it was a matter of familiarity, right? Once my parents understood I could handle these certain things and handle more of them, I could make that step up to the next thing faster, right? So now I want to talk about my first M game. My first M game. Funny enough, not only is it my first M game, but it is my favorite game of all time. And not because it's my first M game, but because it's a phenomenal game. And because of the social benefits and values that it provided. And how much it fundamentally changed my life. It's wild. So, first of all, I want to set the stage, right? So I was talking about earlier and younger, and, and I failed to mention some of the other video games I was able to play when I was younger. First of all, my parents wanted me to play the classic arcade games, because they knew, for one, those games are hard as fuck. If I could figure out how to do that, I could figure out how to do any other game in the future, at least from a core fundamental level. It was also more appropriate, right? Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, Galaga, my god, I will destroy anybody at Galaga. Step up to it, try it. I will, unless you're one of those Galaga pros or whatever. Other than that, I am unusually good at Galaga. Not really. It's because of patterns and I'm autistic. But still, I'm really good at Galaga. So try me. Anyway, so I was raised on the classic, right? Then my first gaming console. Uh, I'll get into my first time game. I just want to give a quick fill in the blank here because I kind of just jumped around to age 7, 8, 9, 10. I failed to mention the first couple years of that. GameCube was my first console, right? And I mentioned I was allowed to play Mario games, right? Uh, Mario Kart Deluxe was one of my favorites. Or not Deluxe, I'm sorry, Mario Kart Double Dash. Oh my god, what a great game. NHL, you know, sports games, MLB, those kinds of games, right? E10. E10 was pretty much the bench. And I fucking loved my GameCube. I still do, and I miss it to this day, and I'm so fucking mad that I got rid of it. I don't even know if I'd play it, but I wish I had it. Anyway... Loved those games. Had a Nintendo DS. I was a Nintendo kid through and through. My my dad was raised on Nintendo, and they liked Nintendo. They knew it was safe. It's I'll say this much. Nintendo is one of the best ways to introduce a kid into gaming. They are some of the highest quality games. Not always, but they're some of the highest quality games. They teach you valuable lessons, and they help build a fundamental foundation and building blocks to getting used to playing video games, because video games are difficult as fuck, which I'll talk about later. And, um, and they're safe. So anyway, Super Mario, all those kinds of things, right? Um, you know, some other games, of course, as well. And, uh, then, the Wii. 
And my parents really liked the Wii because they got to get involved in it more, right? With some of the Wii sports and tennis, we got to play boom blocks and these other games together and have family game night. So it was really fun. It was a great time. Such a simple time, 2007 to 2010. What a great time as a kid, not as adults because the recession, but for me as a kid, not knowing any better, it was perfectly fine. I understood there was a lot of hardship at that time as well. I was living in Atlanta, but it was still it was one of those things where I... Fuck it, I had the Wii. Who cares, right? I was in. I was starting to get into filmmaking. I was starting to watch more movies. I had a Wii. I had Nerf guns. Man, I was set. <laughs> anyway, so, um, yeah. So the Wii was awesome. I played so much on that. Star Wars games, Lego Star Wars. Lego Star Wars was one of my favorite games on GameCube. You know, I've always been a Star Wars fan. Things like that, right? So the... GameCube and the Wii were like my fundamental building blocks into becoming a gamer, and they were my childhood, I would say. 2009-ish, I think? Maybe 10? It might have been 10, I guess. I got the Xbox 360 with the Kinect, Xbox 360 Slim Edition. So I didn't get the 360 in 2007. I got it a few years later when they released the half-generation, the mid-generation, right? with the connect and part of the selling point of that the reason why my parents want to get it because they understood the awesomeness of the motion control they liked the wii and they knew that it'd be a cool way for me to get my physical activity uh i don't know if you all know this but connect sports is goaded it's fucking awesome and that game is a fucking workout you will stay in shape if you play that nowadays we have oculus and all these other cooler things but my god at the time that was awesome I remember, like, Christmas, I got it for Christmas, I think, and it was the week after, like, in, during our Christmas, during, towards the end of our Christmas break, through New Year's and all that, you know, Christmas break was ending, we were about to go to school, and then in Atlanta, it, it, a huge, huge snowstorm, I mean, it's probably in the records, it's probably in the history, it's one of the bigger snowstorms at that time in Atlanta, and so we were snowed in for another, like, ten days. So you're telling me I get an extended winter break. I'm a fucking 10-year-old with nothing better to do. I ain't got that many responsibilities. And it's not like it's... I'm, I mean, go out and play in the snow, hang out with my, my buddies in the snow, do that. Because my parents always prioritized me going outside. They'd force me to go outside. Go, go swim. Go play with friends. Go shoot your Nerf guns with your friends. Go make a movie. My God, I can't. Rem I can't tell you how many times my parents said, "You like making movies, right?" Yep. Well, they got me a flip camera when I was eight or nine. They're like, "Go make a movie. Don't just sit around and play video games." And to be fair, a lot of the time I wanted to make a movie, especially when my friends came over. We we would usually make a little short movie, have fun with that, play around, then play some video games, cool off and chill. Maybe go outside, do some stuff like that. Usually, when we were shooting a movie, it would be outside. And I think that was a very, very integral part for, one, me understanding how to make movies, but also um, allowing me to have fun and go outside and still be productive and do something I want to do, right? And to flex that creativity, that imagination, and, and have a blast. And to this day, in college at 23, I still go outside and shoot a movie with my buddies when I can. You know, me and Anthony, my roommate, made Psychus Productions, and can't tell you how many short films we've made. We're like, oh, yeah, let's just grab a GoPro. Let's get outside, <laughs> you know? So 
obviously we know we know more now we know the scale we want to improve our craft so it's not as easy as just taking a camera going outside unfortunately but every once in a while it's still fun to do that just for the shits and kicks of it and having fun right that's super eight style great movie by the way <laughs> i'm so excited to see that in theaters again it's coming back in theaters here in la at new bedford uh we're seeing that anyway so um yeah, so it's one of those things where they incentivize that. So anyway, I just wanted to fill in that gap. That that was my childhood of gaming. That was, and so that all led up. So I had the 360 by then, right? So connect all that. I, I got through the, those types of games, and that's leading up to me getting 007 Bloodstone in like 2009-ish, almost 2010. I, it's fuzzy now. I could look up when it came out, but I don't think that's fair because I was late to a lot of games, regardless of when they came out. Until I was about 12. Okay. Alright, so we're, th we're through all that. This is the Rated M story, right? The Rated, my first Rated M game, my favorite game of all time. A game I still go back to every once a while in the year and play and get my ass kicked in on it and kind of miss the glory days of being good at it. <laughs> I was with my buddy, Michael. I don't say last names in here, just, you know, for privacy sake and just in case the person doesn't want their last name in here you know just to be respectful anywho um it was the night before the the school the beginning of the school year or the two nights before i think it was friday night actually so it was the weekend before school began again and my parents know that when school starts back up again i'm a wreck still to this day this first week of being back in college even though it's my final semester you'd think i'd have this shit down Nope, still a fucking wreck. Doing better. After the first two weeks, it, it becomes more manageable. But fall and winter is just a hell of a time for me in general. So, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> but anyway, so the... I, I, you know, I just it just occurred to me, I said in the beginning I was going to talk about things that you may relate to. I don't... I'm just telling personal, I'm just kind of giving you a rundown of my life as a gamer, and I will get more into the more relatable things, because once I get older through the teenagers into my adult years, it will become more and more relatable for those who are listening, but, you know, there might be bits and pieces and snippets that you relate to as a kid if you were gaming, so, anyway, I wasn't trying to mislead you there, but I... I wasn't 100% sure I was going to go about this, and then I decided, let me just go in chronological order of my life being a gamer. Makes the most sense, and I find it to be at least more interesting than me just blurting random facts, right? Anyway, so, it's like 2000, I want to say, I, I want to say it's probably, it's the end of summer? Yeah, it's the end of summer, starting our fall you know, coming back like mid-August, late August, whatever, right? So it's it's the end of summer, end of summer break. It's the weekend before school begins. Um, think start of the fifth grade. Yeah. So that was crazy. So I was 10. Or I was, yeah, I was 10. And... So this is 2010. This is like August of 2010, I guess. Huh. I never really realized that. I never pinpointed it. So every once in a while, me and my buddy, 
you know, who's like one of my closest friends growing up, we were able to convince my parents to take us to GameStop. This did not mean we would be able to get a game. This just meant we were able to look and oogle in awe and be like, oh my God, could you imagine if you had that game, bro? You know? What can I say? We were weird kids, and I still am a weird kid. Um, so we went to GameStop. This is at the time when GameStop was the coolest fucking place on earth, right after Toys R Us and Blockbuster. Actually, Blockbuster, Toys R Us, then GameStop, if I'm going to be 100% with you in my childhood days. Anyway, um, God, I went to Blockbuster so much. And uh, it was great because you get to rent games. You didn't have to download them at the time, right? So you could rent games. You could see if you liked them before you bought them. It was What a simple concept. How, how cool was that? Anyway, um, movies, though. I went, I mean, Blockbuster was where the movies were at. That's usually why I was there. And my, you know, I got to pick a couple movies. Parents got to pick a couple movies. They have family movie night, right? Oh, good times. Anywho, so uh, we, we were at GameStop. We were able to convince them to at least take us to GameStop. You know, I think we just came back from seeing a movie. Um... I think it was Captain America or or something like that. It was it was dope, whatever it was. Coming back from movie dinner, you know, it was a sleep overnight. It was just fun. My parents understood that I was stressed, and they're like, yeah, let's just have them have one fun day, a couple fun, you know, a fun sleepover. Friday night, Saturday afternoon, his friend leaves, and Saturday and Sunday we have family time, and then he starts school off again. And I don't know how, but I think, I, I always thank Michael to this day. I think he lied, honestly. He was a little more mischievous than I was. But we, we got to GameStop and we're looking around, and there it was on the biggest display with a cutout of Noble Six Halo Reach, which came out in June of that year. So it was, a, it was, two, it was about two months after the fact it came out. I already knew about Halo. My parents already knew about Halo. They knew about Halo because, hell, Peter Jackson and Spielberg considered making a Halo TV show and movie way back in the day. Wish they did. I hate this new Halo show, but whatever. That's another topic for another day. Um, you know, and I've talked about it to them. I mean, this is not like... I, I annoyed the shit out of them before I got a game. When I got into a game and I researched it, I'd tell them all the factoids. I'd tell them why I should have... Oh, my God. <laughs> so when Halo Reach came out, I'm like, okay, this has got to be the one. I, I, you know, I'm old enough now. I'm, you know, whatever. I thought I was old enough to handle it. I was, actually. I was right about this one. So I was like, oh, the campaign's about shooting aliens. They're not shooting people. Right, so it's a little better. It's blue blood. It's not red blood. All right, the grunts, uh, blue blood, and the elites and all that. <laughs> I didn't mention the multiplayer. To be fair, I wasn't really fully aware the what the multiplayer was. You know, when I saw IGN, I saw clips. I really only saw the campaign. You know, I had some games that were online, but to be fair, I wasn't really playing Xbox Live. I wasn't playing online. I wasn't like some of my friends. To be fair, my friends were older than me. My friends now, who I know now, were older than me, so they were playing COD, they were playing that shit online back in the day when it came out. Then again, they were of the age. They were 11, 12, 13. I was 7, so it was a little different. Um, but, so, so I didn't really have many, like, multiplayer games. I guess I had some that had some multiplayer access, small modes and such, co-op, things like that, maybe, 
but nothing really. So, I, I, to be fair, I wasn't really uh, fully aware of Halo Reach's PvP multiplayer. So I was more so just, I just wanted the game because I thought the campaign looked dope. And it was dope. And I'm, you know. So my buddy Mike was there. He said, I, I thank God he was there. I don't know if I would have been able to convince my parents in that moment. I know, I come to think of it, I know now that I could have probably convinced them by Christmas time, by the end of the year. But I don't think I could have convinced them right there on the spot. They're not impulsive buyers usually. I'm not impulsive buyer usually. <laughs> so it was kind of a rare culmination, you know. And so I think Michael said to them something along the lines of, my parents, I already talked to my parents about it, and they, they said that I'm okay to get it. They just want me to, they just want to wait for me for Christmas. And then this man vouched for me. He's like, but Josh should get it, da-da-da-da-da, because this and that and this and that and this and that, whatever. And I, you know, I already told my parents about it, and I was begging, I'm like, please, please. I'll never complain about anything, you know, as a kid does. I'll be, I'll be happy. It'll cure my depression. I swear to God. I won't, I won't. Hell, it might even heal my OCD. I don't know. I don't know how this shit works, but it might just be sorcery. Right. <laughs> and I think part of it was because they, they did understand that I was old enough now. That I was rapidly maturing. That because of my OCD, I feel like they understood that that was aging me. Even teachers and people were like, he's older than, like, he's young, like, we know his age, but he is talking and doing things that are, that are two or three years a little higher than he should know about. Parents are like, yeah, he watches some movies a little above his age, he listens to some music above his age, and he has intrusive thoughts. He sees some violent shit play in his head against his will, and so he's a little more seasoned to being mature. He's not censored from this shit. You know, kids my age at that time didn't see violent stuff unless they saw violent stuff. My brain decided for me to see violent stuff against my will and terrify me. It was not a fun time. I'm not making light of it. It was horrendous. It was a very, very exhausting process to become where, to get to where I am now to manage it. And it's still a, it's still a lot of work to keep up on top of it with anxiety, with OCD, anxiety, depression, and narcolepsy. And autism, but I really don't want to count that in there as well. That's its own thing. But, but really, the OCD, anxiety, depression, for the most part, that is, it's a lot. It's not easy. It was, it was a lot, and it was a lot to take on as a nine-year-old being diagnosed and knowing about it, and then having to cope with it. But I, I'm glad that I had the support from my parents, and I'm glad that I knew about it then, and that I could start the work on it. Because so many people have these underlying issues and they were never given the chance, the opportunity, and the privilege to be able to be diagnosed and to be able to start managing it until much later in their life. And I don't doubt in any way that they can't get to where I am now. It's just going to take longer and they will be later in their life once they do because it's a fucking process and it's a lot of work. But when you have parents that can help you and when you're in, a, when you're in elementary middle school where things aren't as dire, you have more time to manage it. But it makes growing up a lot harder than it should. It takes a lot of the fun out of way of being a kid. And it did, a lot of the time. It didn't ruin my childhood, it just made things more difficult than people realized from the surface. And it still does to this day. When people meet me, they have no idea. And that's okay, I don't want them to know. I'm not here to say, oh, pity me, my life is so hard. My life is not that bad. There are times where it's hard, there's times where it's not. That's part of being human. 
I'm not saying my heart, my life was any more difficult than yours or any better than yours. I'm just saying that this is just how my life is. And the reason why I bring the attention of this and how severe it is is not to draw pity and not to draw comparisons, but just to illustrate that there are people struggling with this. So don't discredit or discount that it is a struggle just because you may not be able to see it, right? I'll always advocate for that because I've been through it in various ways. So anyway... I feel like that seasoned me a little more. So, by some God's gracious miracle, my parents bought Halo Reach at that GameStop store the, the few days before. And uh, we got home, and man, oh man, me and Michael played the fuck out of that campaign. We didn't beat it because we weren't good at this game. Michael wanted me to get it just so he could play it at my place until he got it. <laughs> And then later in the year, he got it for Christmas. Now, at this time, I learned I was moving across states. This is the first of the five states I would move between in my childhood, teenage years. The last move I made, I was 18 and a half, so I guess I was a legal adult by then, but I was still entering into college, you know, so. Um, it was a huge move. I was raised in Atlanta. I, I had friends. I had systems, right? I was comfortable being there for 11-ish years, 10 and a half, 11 years, whatever. So it was, a, it was a huge uprooting when you have a kid who's raised. Now, I bounced around a lot of homes and school. You know, we, we moved houses in different parts of Atlanta due to work and school and all these things in different schools when I, right? So it's not that I was unfamiliar with moving. I was just never out of state. That is a different process. It's enough stress to move just from a different house within the same city. But moving to a new state is a whole different ballgame. And people don't realize this, but the culture, the norms, the demographics, the quality of life is radically different between each state. Partially, that's what makes America beautiful. It's also, also partially what makes moving across states so fucking stressful and teaches you so much more about the world even if you're still just in one country because there's so much diversity in America. And so even if you're just bouncing between five states along uh, in America, that you're getting a lot of different diversity, culture, and worldviews and thoughts, right? It's, it's incredible. So anyway... Um, so it was a really tough move, but thank God for Halo Reach being one of, one of the games I had because I also, around that time, I was able to get Xbox Live, you know, I set up my first Microsoft account and email in correspondence with that, and played with the handful of friends I had, because by Christmas they were allowed to do that, so I had three or four buddies at any given point. Who were playing the same games I were. We were still friends. Uh, we, you know, we had the shitty cheap headsets. We had the 360 Live. We had Halo Reach. So even though life sucked when I moved and getting adjusted and being harassed and bullied in middle school in Kentucky, going from Atlanta to Kentucky is a fucking dramatic shift. You know? To a small town in Kentucky as well. It's not as diverse. People are not as open. They're not as accepting. It, it sucked. <laughs> it sucked on... A lot of levels. And I was still managing the peak understanding of my OCD and anxiety too, which did not help at that time. So it was a lot. But having that sanctuary to be able to jump on the games and immerse myself in a way and to stay in contact with my friends was life-changing. I, I think it really helped me get through the days. 
I could push through school. I could push through getting bullied by my teachers and by my peers. I can push through the verbal harassment and the emotional degradation. I could push through the mental uh, uh, barrage of my thoughts. I could push through all that if I knew that hell. Once I get home, I do my homework. I could see my parents. I could talk to them. I could be with them. You know, they were my, they were my safe place at the end of the day, ultimately, right? And then I can find reprieve and I can find social connection and connecting with some of my buddies online. That saved me. That made the transitional period into middle school and into moving and into life like that bearable. So I'm always thankful for Halo Reach and online gaming because of that, right? And I got really good at the game. And folks, that game is just fucking phenomenal, even to this day. The campaign is just so goddamn cinematic. The character design, the lore, the setup, all of that, right? And the multiplayer suite is probably one of the best. It's not perfect. And in hindsight, there's some, you know, obviously... But of the time, I'm like, we have Forge mode, we have custom games, we've got so many fucking multiplayer modes, so many, so many activities. You know, it was just, it was insane. It was nuts. And it was such a good time. It was always laughs. It was always fun. It was hard to put that game down. And then Black Ops 2 came around. Black Ops 2. Up there with Halo Reach for me and favorite games of all time and favorite first-person shooters, right? I played all kinds of other games at the time. And I'm skipping around now because I don't want this to be the longest episode in history. But, um, you know, I think I got Black Ops first after I changed schools. I actually talked about this in a previous episode. Um, MW3 was... That was before Black Ops 2. It was Black Ops, MW3, then Black Ops 2. I got... Um, so Black Ops was my first COD game, and my god, what a great first Call of Duty game. My parents were okay with Halo, but they really didn't want me to get into Call of Duty yet, because that, they understood, was too graphic, too violent, and too many of my peers were fucking ridiculous with that, right? So they were like, let's just stagger this for as long as we can. Then they understood, okay. I mean, the, the... The severity of my OCD at the time, and by, by the time I was 11-ish, 12, by the time I was turning 12, and I was jumping through this public middle school in Kentucky, they were like, okay, he's he's been through enough. At the same time around, well, right before we moved, I forgot to mention, I started to be allowed to listen to more, I mean, I was listening to all kinds of music when I was a kid. My dad had every kind of thing in his playlist, all types of genres, right? R&B, jazz, classical, Broadway hip-hop, uh, pop, it, I mean, <laughs> you know, alternate classic rock, I, I just, I, it's everything from Queen to Michael Jackson to Eminem to, to Daft Punk to fucking uh, Bruce Springsteen, I mean, it doesn't matter, it was all over the place, it was, it was great, I think it really allowed me to understand and appreciate all forms of music to some extent, you know. But in 2008, I was allowed, I was getting into Eminem, I was starting to hear him, I'm like, oh my god, this guy's so cool. And I clicked with him. The way, how fast he was able to spit out words is how fast I was thinking, right? With OCD and stuff, I was like, Jesus Christ, this is incredible. And some of the things he was alluding to and saying, I'm like, these are intrusive thoughts. This is what I go through. It's the most, I never related, I mean, I loved Michael Jackson at the time. His music made me dance and sing. I loved it, right? But Eminem came along. And 
mind you, there's a million other artists in between these ones and after these ones that influenced me and that I love to this day. Don't get me wrong, right? Nas, Amy Winehouse, uh, all of Queen, right? I mean, fucking, those are some more I can think of right now, but like the list goes on and on, right? So it's not just these two, but these, M and Michael Jackson are two of my favorite artists. And, um, and for those who know me, they're like, oh, obviously. But, so with Eminem, when I started listening to him, I was like, holy motherfucking God, this is exactly what I'm going through with intrusive thoughts and life. Oh my God, and he's speaking as fast as my brain. It sometimes feels like it moves. This is incredible. And people just thought like, I mean, older people knew as a Slim Shady persona, all these other things. But nobody really understood that this was him channeling his OCD intrusive thoughts. People didn't know he had that. And I think people with OCD intrusive thoughts, regardless of if we knew we had it or not, related to him on a deeper level. You know, even to this day, being a rapper, check out my music, Psychic, on all platforms. Even as a rapper today, people look at me like, okay, you're white, of course you like Eminem, you rap like him. I'm like, yeah, 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 I rap like him and I'm influenced by him. I'm not copying him or anything, I just, he's the one that got me into hip-hop more. Now, to be fair, I listen to Common, I listen to Kanye, I listen to Mos Def, I listen to a Tribe Called Quest, I listen to NWA, I listen to... All of those <laughs> clean versions as a kid, because um, those were in my dad's playlist. But then also later, uh, alongside with Eminem, I was listening to that. And then once I was allowed to listen to unclean lyrics, at the same time around after I got Halo Reach, surprisingly, that's when I was allowed to listen to more music as well. So, um, yeah, no genre of music, no genre, no art was banned from my house ever. It was just either delayed or different varying um, allowances of that, right? For video games, it was up to E10 and teen when I wasn't allowed to do M, right? For, for music, it was all kinds of music, but if it was really explicit or violent lyrics and stuff, it was the clean version until I was ready, right? Stuff like that, but it was never outright banned. I was never like, oh, you're not allowed to listen to hip-hop as a kid. You're not allowed to listen to this type of music because it's... My parents were never like that, you know. They grew up in the arts. They understand the importance of it. Even if they don't get it, they understand it's important for me to at least be exposed to it so I can make up my own opinion and be my own person, which I'm very thankful for. So, anyway. Um, so, yeah, I just, I related to it because somehow deep down I related to Eminem. Not in the terrible parents and spousal abuse and drug addiction, but I related to him in the mental health stuff and being bullied and being a nerd and it was just like man this guy understands it and so at the time once I moved I was listening to him more and I remember on my 11th or 12th birthday I think I was I was able to get because I was listening to all of the clean music and if you've ever listened to clean Eminem you know how goddamn difficult it is to understand what the fuck he's saying because half the shit he says is explicit and they can't even like replace it with another word they just cut it the fuck out so it's just like uh you know I flick emotion cut off so cold that I froze my butt off and this iceberg gets like squirking ocean all the words I came to the game, you know, whatever. I cannot rap that for the life of me. Of course, the the one song that came to mind is the one song I can't rap with Eminem's properly. <sighs> what a good song, though. 
Bad Meets Evil, Hell the Sequel. I got that album. I got the clean version of that album. That was the last full like Eminem clean version before my birthday, before I was allowed to get all of his explicit versions of his songs, which changed everything, especially for my rap trajectory. But um, that's for another episode. But I got that album same time I was moving, like within my last few months in Atlanta. And I was listening to that album on repeat while I was in transition moving to Kentucky. But it was the clean version. And... For those of you who've never listened to Bad Meets Evil, first of all, what are you doing? Stop listening to me. Go listen to them. They're dope. It's Eminem and Royce the Five Nine, lyrical fury of the gods with their pen. It's just so fucking incredible. Like, it doesn't. I mean, to be honest, some of it doesn't make sense, but some of the bars are just really clever. You know, it's intense, but it's just like, it's almost just so technically impressive and just flows so nicely. You're like, damn, this is cool. And as an 11-year-old, I was just blown away, right? But listening to the clean version of that shit, oh my god, 60% of the album's missing. It's insane. I memor- I, got, I love the music so much, I memorized all the lyrics and the words and the pauses and the spaces without curse words. So I have the entire clean version memorized. So it was a learning curve once I started listening to his explicit stuff to then re-rap Learn how to rap all my favorite music again, but with curse words. I was just so good at do at avoiding curse words because it was just blank. I didn't even know what words were to be. I mean, sometimes I could, in you know, guess, but you know, sometimes they, it surprises you what what the actual word may be, you know, because the inside rhyme schemes. So crazy time. So couple that with the intrusive thoughts, I was able to, you know, I. I the violence thing, my parents still didn't want me to be overexposed to it, but they also understood I was more ready than, than they thought I would be at this age. So I left one of the middle schools. My dad got me COD Black Ops. I've been wanting it for a while. It's, it was already out at the time, right, just like Halo Reach. So I got that. I think when I was playing the campaign, you know, this is before I had headphones uh, to play all the time, so I was playing through my TV speaker in my room. I think my I think my dad regretted that in the first few weeks. He's like, Jesus, it's so god-awful, the noises and the horrors of war. Because I play, I, and this is a tradition for me with Call of Duty. Still to this day, I carry this tradition ever since the first Black Ops I got. I play the campaign first. Every time, before I go into zombies or multiplayer or any other mode, I play the campaign first. I'm a filmmaker. that They put a lot of work in those campaigns. They're short. They're not that long. And they're fun. And it's a tradition. The new COD, I sit down, I, I just lock in. It's harder now with friends waiting for me to jump in the multiplayer suite, but I do it. And actually, I think my friends do that too. So, we're okay. Anywho, um, just kind of a little tradition of mine. Whenever I get a new COD, I just play the campaign first. Always. Even if I hate the campaign like Vanguard. I push through it. Anyway, um... So yeah, I, I do that. I did that. I had a blast. I loved Black Ops. So then, let's see. Modern Warfare Three came around. Modern Warfare Three was my first. And it, mind you, just because I was allowed to get a few M games and get more games, this didn't mean every time I had to come up with a very sound argument, because my parents were like, "Well, you just had the last call. What do you need the new one for? You know, to play with my friends. You don't get it. They don't play the old one. You know." My parents were very open in, in allowing me to and buying me these games, you know, for birthdays and Christmas and things like that, or good good grades and such. But it was also one of those things where it's like they didn't fully understand why I wanted the next one. They didn't they don't they didn't play games like that. So they didn't get like, oh, 
just because a new COD is, just because I just got the last COD last year doesn't mean that, uh, you know, whatever, that like the new one, that I'm going to skip out on the new one. It's not like a car. It's, you got to unfortunately jump ship to the new one because the old one is antiquated. And I was playing multiplayer with my friends, right? This point I was in Kentucky is where my friends were, and I wanted to keep up with them, and I wanted to play with them. I had fun with them, right? So, yeah, that was that. And I remember I was able to convince them on MW3 because I was telling my dad, I was like, listen, dad, dad. It's like a Tom Clancy book or a movie. I, he's, a, he's a big Tom Clancy fan. I'm like, it's World War Three, okay? Fucking... The Eiffel Tower, ha I didn't say fucking, but I'm like, the Eiffel Tower has fallen. <laughs> I'm supposed to save the world, okay? <laughs> oh, man. That's so funny. I remember in the living room in that house, I was just like, or the dining room, I was just like showing them uh, clips of it on my laptop. And I was like, please, you got to understand, I'm doing this for the better of man. It's not like Black Ops. It's not as dark. And it wasn't, actually. I mean, it was still dark. Don't get me wrong, the opening of MW3's campaign, Jesus Christ, but I don't know, it wasn't Deer Hunter brutal, like Black Ops campaign and shit like that. Multiplayer, they didn't really care about, they were like, yeah, just, you know, you play with your friends, we don't care, it was the campaign, it was like, what are you going to see in the campaign? It's a war game, so they're like, are, is someone going to be decapitated? But, like, at this point in the Black Ops campaign, as you know, there's dismemberment in that game. I don't know why they dropped that in future COD campaigns, but that'd be cool if they added that back. Anyway... Um, I mean, that game was dark. <laughs> that was a very brutal game. I don't, honestly, I don't think there's many other COD campaigns that get quite as dark or as fucking intense as that. There are moments and scenes, of course, as we all know, no Russian, right? And things like that, of course. But it's still, it's like, it, it doesn't get much darker than those black, uh, than the peak COD days. Although I do like where MW19 took things. I do appreciate where they took things. So, anyway, um... So I convinced them on MW3, right? I didn't have the other MWs. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to, right? I was too young. I was 7 and 9 when 1 and 2 came out. So, right? And I wasn't going to get an old COD when the new one was coming out and breaking records and all my friends was playing that, right? I was like, I'll take the fucking hit. How confusing could it possibly be? My God, was that story ever so fucking confusing. I... <laughs> People... <laughs> For my COD fans who love the MW original trilogy and the storyline, which is a great trilogy. You know, later I went back and replayed it all. But it's just like, I try starting your COD Modern Warfare trilogy's campaign storyline with the third one and see how that goes. See how confused you fucking are. My God, I was so damn confused, but I still loved it. I had a blast. I really just enjoyed all of the mechanics and all that. I didn't really, you know, I followed the story. I loved the story, but I was just like, I didn't get it. So I didn't worry about it too much. You know. Okay, so all that's real, well and good, right? Those were all great games. I love Black Ops. I love MW3 for various reasons, right? Black Ops 2. This is the year after MW3, right? Another year has passed. Life has gone on. Mind you, I'm still playing Halo Reach more than those other two games combined. That's still my main game. And in fact, even once Black Ops 2 came out, it was just Halo Reach and Black Ops 2. Four years, so much to the point where, honest to God, I got other games in between. I don't remember them that much. <laughs> For like four or five years. It was insane. I don't think I ever stuck on two multiplayer games like that that long. Obviously, I got the new CODs, I got the new things like that, but it was just like, 
Nah, Black Ops 2 was where I was at for a very long time. In Halo Reach, of course. So Black Ops 2 came out. And this was the Mac Daddy of the Mac Daddy, right? This was one of those things where everybody felt it, right? The marketing was off the chain. I remember the countdown, like everyone was getting hyped about it. My friends were pre-ordering it, getting the bonuses. You got the DLC for the zombies yet? Like, there were like crack addicts, were like many crack addicts walking around trying to pray to God that our parents would allow us to get Black Ops 2. Because every time with my friends, it was still a, it was still like a convincing thing. It was still a negotiation. It was not a given. We always, some of my friends who were in the same boat as me, we always envied our friends, those who, like, the parents didn't give a fuck about video games and would play it with them or buy it for them because they played it too, were like, oh my god, you must be so damn lucky. You don't even have to convince your parents to play it. Then, again, on the flip side, the bigger... I actually think we were in the bigger benefit. One, we learned presentation and persuasion skills like a motherfucker. My, my people who had to grow up convincing their parents to get them certain games, you, you are going to be a better person because of that. You know, you're going to be better off in the world being able to convince people what you need and why and to get to their better senses. And it, it's true. I'm able to do that more than I realized because I had to do that so often for the things I wanted, right? Um, but also beyond that, the, uh, the people who had like parents buy it because the parents played it too. So they're more so buying it for themselves, and yeah, their kid could play it every once in a while. That must have sucked because you didn't actually, it wasn't your console. It was your dad's or your mom's console, and tough titty. <laughs> you had to wait until your parents were done playing, and then you had to get on. <laughs> now, hopefully, you had your own account. Man. Now, some people look at it finally. They got to play with their parents. I mean, that would be cool, too. I don't doubt that. There's probably a lot of benefits to it. But I'm just saying, man, I'm an only child, and I like the fact that as much as I loved playing video games with my parents, and there's still some games that I, you know, look at fondly and that I wouldn't have wanted to play with anyone else. However, there are other games, like Call of Duty, like Halo Reach, where I love my parents, but I would never want to play those games with them. It'd be too frustrating to try to teach them, and they wouldn't like it that much. So, <laughs> it would just be a buzzkill. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's one of those kinds of things. Wild, wild stuff. So anyway, the uh, Black Ops 2 release was a big deal. I remember my friends were buying it. Oh, did you get the deluxe? And I remember it was, I, I mean, you know, it was, it's been years now, so it's kind of hard to remember properly. But I remember I really had to convince my parents on this one. I was like, okay, I know MW3. And I, hey, I love that game. I played it to death. I, I beat it. Right, it's done. I, like, there's no more to do in that game. Right, that's usually how I can convince them to get the next one. Because once again, going back to those roots of arcade games, which you can't beat those, by the way. But if you could beat a game, my parents were more okay with the fact that okay, well, he's beat it. What the hell else is he gonna do? Like we, we bought him something. He got his money out of it. He had fun. He played with his friends. He beat it. He he exhausted all the potential of the game. Now the new one's out. Like they understood that much. So I could usually kind of inch the conversation forward with that point, but it was still a difficult task because it was a violent game nonetheless, and it was still getting more and more violent, more and more graphic every year. And the graphics were getting more realistic, so it just became exponentially more difficult. 
Right. And then at the same time, my parents were teaching me online safety. And I feel like they might have scared me a little too much on how to be very safe online. But I feel like it benefits me in the long run because I am. I, I understand the risks of being, you know, psychic online and all that. I do understand that Twitch streaming podcasts such as this, my music, all that Instagram, putting myself out online. But I'm very careful and selective of what I share to the public. Right. And as a kid, obviously, when I was a minor, I was very, very private. I had every safety setting and I was aware of how to stay safe online as much as possible, right? So my parents were really keeping that in balance as well, you know? And games are expensive too. Games were 60 bucks. These were not movies, right? My parents were understanding I was making more and more movies. I think they kind of understood I was really just wanting to see if I, you know, they loved that I wanted to make movies and show it to them. So going and renting a movie wasn't as big of a deal, right? Or even buying a movie, Right, they they understood I was making I was building up a movie collection. But video games. Now they were still very. I mean, they knew I loved video games. They usually got that for me for Christmas. Right, took a wild stab, got me a handful of games. Some I never wanted or played, not because I wasn't appreciative of them getting it. It's just stuff I never heard of, and you know, only so much time to play the games that I wanted. Right. Um, but I was very fortunate in that regard. So, yeah, but I still remember it was just nail-biting down to the wire. It was like a day before the game launched. Oh, actually, it might have been a day after or so. Um, anyway, got to, like, the most deluxe edition of that game or whatever, the one with the season pass for the zombies. I'm glad I did. It paid off. Uh... Yeah, so it got Black Ops 2, you know, played through the campaign first. Love the campaign. It's one of my favorite COD campaigns. Uh, everything about that game was just game-changing. Multiplayer sweet. I don't think I've ever sunk as much time and cared so much about a COD game in my life. So Black Ops 2 will always hold the cake. And that was the first COD game I'd say I got good at. I was okay at other COD games, but that was the first game I was actually able to quick scope and fuck people up, you know? So good times, good times. That's the adolescence of being a gamer. You constantly just want to get home and game. It's a balance. You don't want it to take over your life. Your parents don't want you to take it over your life. And even if your parents are supportive at times, they still are like, uh, don't, don't just play video games all day. Da, 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 da. Don't waste your life away. Read a book. Go eat an apple. Go outside. You know. So there's there's still a lot of stigma in the early 2000s about gamers and, you know, they're living in the mom's basement, right? That type of whole South Park mean stereotype. It's unhealthy. I get it. It can be if you let it, but there's plenty, there's more gamers than ever and they, as long as you balance it. And I'll just fast forward through my teenage years, right? I got other games. It became more and more free. It wasn't as much of a convincing point, but it still was. And then once I was able to save up, have allowance, have my own debit card, all those, right? I was able to purchase my own games. And, of course, every once in a while, I'll still get one for birthday, Christmas. So it became more and more flexible. And uh, now it's just I buy them on my own. And honestly, I love it. But I'll be honest, it, it's, it's, I'm, I'm buying and trying a lot more games now, right? Because I can. Or maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should save my money more. But to be fair, because I had to do that so much with my parents, I still check it against myself. 
I try not to do impulse buys. Every once in a while, I do, and I sometimes regret it, or sometimes I'm like, maybe I just bought this when I wasn't ready, and I come back to the game a few months later, and I love it. It just depends, right? But because of my because of my upbringing, and I just love to do research on stuff I care about as well. It just interests me, right? Films and television and, and certain things when I was into Star Wars, whatever. I just research it and watch analyticals and deep dives, and it helps me understand the craft of it more and or what I'm getting into, which I always always appreciated. I think that's part of being a lifelong learner, which is always so invaluable to everything you do, and it's still been... I mean, yesterday I was watching videos on how they did VFX on this movie. I, I love the behind-the-scenes and how they make movies. I still watch those things, those deep dives, those, what's the theory behind this? How is the composition of this shot, you know? And it greatly influences how I think about my movies going forward. Um... And with video games, doing that research allows me to understand if it's worth the purchase and or the time. If I'm not purchasing it or if I'm getting it at a discount. Even if I do get it at a discount, is it even worth downloading for the space and the time? Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Obviously, it's not as much of a risk or as scary if you're not buying it. When you're buying it, you want to do more research. You know, paying up front. But, um, but yeah. And so to this day, I still go in, in, you know, very in detail on these things. That's how I'm able to make podcast shows about them. Um, and, you know, part of the things as being a gamer in life, regardless of what age you're at, but especially once you become an adult and start paying for your own games, is you, you'll understand very quickly if you're a gaming hobbyist. Once again, there's more pros than cons, right? The pros are the social connection, the... Just the pure entertainment value or the story you may get out of it, just like a movie or TV show. There may be great stories that you're following, characters you get invested with. The ability to explore and learn new things and worlds in an interactive way that you may not have the chance to in any other fashion. Um, and the, just the ability to keep yourself stimulated enough to where you're engaged and your brain is thinking logistically and figuring out problems on the fly or, or either quickly or slowly or whatever and making decisions. Video games is really good at building and we've learned this from more uh, scientific studies of gamers reaction time and attention to detail in gamers have statistically been shown to be much, much greater for those who don't game as much, right? And different genres of games affect different uh, behaviors and abilities to perceive and process information. Um, I play all kinds of games. It, I mean, I, I lean towards action games and combat games. I just prefer those more. But I, I play all kinds of games with all kinds of components in, in totality. So I'm kind of a mixed, you know, thing. And, and some sometimes a new type of game just introduced me to a new subgenre that I never thought of and that I fall in love with, right? And different ages and different times and different experiences and comfort in gaming. Gaming is not easy. There are easy games, but gaming as a whole is not an easy thing to get into because there's a lot behind it. The basic language of understanding how to control a character is the hardest learning curve for people who are starting later. When you start younger, you build those fine motor skills, you build those common pathways in that language of and ease of access of picking up a controller and playing a game. You, it, you become more adept regardless of the game, regardless of the platform. 
doesn't always make the game easy. doesn't always make the control schemes easy. It can still be a learning curve nonetheless, but it's less of a learning curve. It is more familiar, especially if it's a franchise entry, right? Compared to those who didn't game as a kid or didn't or don't game as much, give them a controller, they might be able to game, but it might be rough, right? And that's okay. That's, that, there's no shame in that. That's part of the learning curve. They're just they they don't have the experience and time and energy. It, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you're playing with them, you just have to be aware of that, you know. Um. But but the pros of gaming are. That of decision-making, that of entertainment, uh, escapism, right? Helping cope with life if you just want to escape. Turn on the, the console and just drift into the world and have some fun. Immerse yourself and then come back out of it and go back to life, right? It has helped people connect and build friendships and sustain friendships. I would say the social aspect of gaming, the communal social aspect of gaming is the most valuable. We are social beings through and through, regardless if you're introverted, extroverted, if you're less social, more social. I'm more, I'm less social. I'm more introverted. That doesn't mean I don't need socialization. We are social creatures. We benefit our mental, physical, emotional well-being benefits from communal and social uh, structures more than people give credit to. You know? So when you wonder why a fan base is so powerful, when you wonder why an organized religion is so powerful, when you wonder why a hobby is so powerful, it is not just because of the thing itself. Obviously, that is the driving primary culprit, but it is the tertiary or secondary even effect of the socialization of that group. It's important to feel like you belong into a certain community or a subset of a community or subsect of a community. So when you do, it greatly rewards your well-being. And I think anybody who does not realize or understand that and tries to take that away from people and denigrate that, especially for gamers, is missing a lot and needs to understand that. Speaking personally, I've, I've I've gained some of my some close friends over the years through gaming, meeting them just online. My one of my best friends in in the world now is uh, my buddy C's, and we now we didn't meet gaming. Funny enough, we met through Instagram, and we're both rappers, and so we we hit each other up through Instagram for a while. Then we started texting, and we decided to work on a song together, and that was fun, but it was tricky. It's hard to build a song off the you know meeting someone for the first time purely online, right? And it wasn't until late, I'd say till 2019-ish, where we learned, I think I finally just broached the topic after we had a few songs out. And we were, we were friendly, but we weren't like friends, you know what I mean? We were just friendly. And I broached the topic, I, I, I texted C's, we were on a texting basis at least, and I, and I texted him and I said, do you play video games? Hoping that God he does. And he's like, yeah, every day. I'm like, oh, fuck yes. And then... Sadly, the second most important question, what console, <laughs> right? Because if he's on PlayStation, I'm fucked. This is 2017, tw uh, yeah, 2017-2018-ish, or, you know, mid-2018 to 2019, I guess. And it was like, um, I think it was actually 2019 when we truly started talking about gaming and stuff. I, it's kind of a blur now, right? Uh, 
Uh, but it's like one of those things where it's like, because uh, if it's PlayStation, that's fine. But it's just one of those things where I'm fucked. I can't really play with them other than a few crossplay games, and that's hardly the option. So it's null and void. Um, unless I get a PlayStation or unless he gets an Xbox, right? And he said Xbox. I'm like, no fucking way. And so, yeah, we clicked. Uh, I, I don't remember when we first started playing with each other, but yeah. And then I got introduced to his friend group and we became closer. Because something people don't realize is when you're playing a video game, a couple things. One, you are able to talk and communicate and do multiple things. It is a different socialization sphere. Even if it's purely online, you have to understand if you're talking on comms in a party chat with a friend or with someone who you're becoming friends with while playing the same game, here are some of the social benefits that are at play. One, if you do not know each other very well and you're just learning to talk and just kind of getting to know each other, you're probably not going to talk too much about personal life, personal things, maybe a little bit. Hey, you know, how's your day? Social niceties, all that. But beyond that, you get to just focus on playing your game and focusing on the objective at hand in that game with your buddy. Understand that's very valuable because sometimes for people like me and for many people, when you socialize, it's very difficult to figure out what the fuck to talk about, how to keep the pacing and what the hell to do in that in-between time. It's weird. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. And it's hard to understand where your footing is and if it's worth the time and energy, right? When you're gaming, at the very least, you can always default to just focus on the game, talk about the game. Share the similarity that you both enjoy playing this game together. That's vital. Later, the more you play that game, the more new game comes out. You guys want to jump ship and, hey, you get in this game or you want to try this game, right? That's valuable too. And then beyond that, it's then the time in between. The loading screens, the death screens, the death timers, the round weights, the, the shit that happens in video games that some people aren't aware, which I'll get into in a minute. The downtime. There's a lot of downtime in gaming that people do not realize. People who don't game consistently and or don't game at all do not realize that uh, I would say about 40% of your gaming experience, almost, at, depending on the day, 50% of your gaming experience, is not playing the fucking game. It's infuriating sometimes, but you kind of get used to it, right? And so I, I remember when I was a kid, it was something I had to convince my parents of. Because here's another thing, real quick, when I was a kid, I forgot about this. It's how much time I was allowed to play with my friends once I was able to get the games. That, I remember, started to become the greatest contention in life. <laughs> my parents came in my room, okay, all right, it's time to, time to end your game. What? Please, please don't make me end this game, you know? They're like, can't you just pause it? You ever hear that one before? Okay, sorry, I'm finally getting in the shit people were late on, right? Can't you just pause the game? No, it's online. I wish I could. I can't pause the servers. Oh. Now, to be fair to my parents, how were they supposed to know if the game was online or not if they're just walking in and seeing me play it, right? Sometimes they don't even know if I'm... Sometimes I'm not even talking to people, right? I, I play... I played online games by myself without friends many a time when they weren't online or during times where I was online and they weren't or whatever, right? Uh, or if they didn't have that game. So how are they supposed to know, right? Now, obviously, if I was talking to friends and stuff, they might have assumed. And so once they got more familiar with the online games and once they started to learn that you cannot pause a game and they understood the value in... If you just leave the game, it's like being in a sport and just leaving the field because your parents said it's dinner time or it's bedtime, right? 
if it's obviously if it's urgent that your kid has to leave the game for whatever reason, obviously that's more important. That takes precedent if it's for their well-being or if it's urgent or if it's something that's just more important. I had every once in a while, it's fine. But generally, you know, if I'm finishing up a game, you know, oh, dad, there's five minutes left in this round, maybe five or six more minutes left. My dad has, has, he, he's worn the same watch forever. He, he, he does not take it off unless he showers or goes to sleep. That's it. He wears it every waking minute of his existence for the most part. And, um, <laughs> that watch, dude, I'd tell you when, <laughs> when I was like, oh God, there's six minutes left in the round or God forbid, there's no timer in the game. So I'm just approximating how long it would take for the team, for either team to win He'd look at his timer. He's like, okay, six minutes. I'm like, well, okay, maybe six to seven minutes. And he's like, that's yeah, fine. Six to seven minutes. I'll be, uh, I'll come back in then. I'm like, fuck, you know. <laughs> but I do think it's important for parents who have gaming children and for children who have gaming parents still to this day, that's still going to be an ongoing thing for the rest of the time, I would think. Parents need to understand that online games are online. You can't pause them. They should also understand you shouldn't leave them unless, of course, it's an emergency or whatever or something's really important. Parents should respect that they're in the middle of a game. You wouldn't peel them, pull them off on the field if they're playing a sport. You wouldn't, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a little extreme. It's rude. It's disconnecting them from their friends, and it's not letting them finish something they started. I don't think that's an appropriate or healthy response to something, and I don't think that instills a lot of great uh, confidence, and it can kill the fun and kill the mood for the rest of the night for the kid, right? However... On the flip side, the kid can't abuse and lie and say, oh, five more minutes, and then they finish that match, and before the parents come in to check, well, then they're starting a new match. And they're like, oh, no, see, we're in the same match. Don't try to be slick. That's not fair to your parents. Your parents have made you dinner or done whatever, and they're ready for you, and they allowed you to have five more minutes to finish the game and say goodbye to your friends and log off, and you'll be on tomorrow. It's no big deal. You know, it sucks, I know, but it's not the end of the world. So it's that balance. And uh, luckily with my parents, they started to understand that. And they knew I wasn't going to lie and deceive them. For one, I was hungry. And I wanted to watch the movie or the show with my parents. I I was looking forward to, to, you know, most of the time. And even though I wanted to keep playing, of course, I was fine with leaving. But I didn't want to leave mid-game, right? That sucks. That's very unfortunate. And it happened still. It happened many times. But once my parents got the gist of it, it was better. So I, I just remember that's one of those things too. Parents come in and they're like, okay, all right, wrap it up. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. I can't pause it. I, I'm online. I gotta, you gotta let me at least. So I think it's fair for parents. Let your kids finish the game, finish the round, right? Finish that online game, say goodbye to the friends, let them log off, let them save their progress. Even if they're playing a single-player game and they can pause it, you got to understand, just because you can pause it doesn't mean it'll save it. So let them get to a place where they can save their game because they don't want to lose that 30 minutes or hour of progression. That fucking sucks. And for parents, spouses, couples, whomever, if you're living with a gamer nowadays... Please understand, doesn't matter how old they are, how old you are, please understand a few things, a few common etiquettes, courtesies to your gamers. Okay, a couple things, let me just rattle them off uh, as I can recall them. Don't ever turn off their console. They have that on for a reason. Even if for some reason they may not be playing their game, 
don't turn it off. It's not a fire hazard. These consoles, these systems are designed to be able to stay on. It may not be healthy for the system. They're not dangerous. You can leave them on. There's no harm in them. They don't take that much power or internet or bandwidth or whatever. And if they do, for whatever reason, you could talk to your uh, significant other, your kid, or your whomever, right? But don't just turn it off. Here's why. If they're not by their console and they have it turned on, you know, let them know. Maybe they forgot, and maybe it can be turned off. There's no problem. That's fine. But if it if they didn't forget, they could be downloading something. And if you turn it off, it hopefully would just pause the download, but it could cancel it. So it takes a while now to download games, especially depending on your internet. Don't do that. That fucking sucks. They could be downloading their game that they bought and that they've been excited to play, that they want to play when they get back from school or work, and so they left their console on so it would download. Don't turn it off. That's a dick thing to do. At least ask them before you do so you know if you're really that anxious. But if not, just leave it. It's not that big of a deal, okay? That's one thing. Also, more importantly than that, don't ever turn it off while they're gaming. I don't care how mad you are. I don't care how upset you are. Don't do that. That is unhealthy. That is toxic. And it's rude. That's like if you're typing something or if you're watching your show on your laptop and someone comes up and just slams it down. Right? Or unplugs the TV. That's very rude. And that's going to get an immediate emotional response as a reaction that you're not going to want to see. I'm not saying that the person's going to be violent or say anything too mean, but they might be upset, rightfully so. Don't do that. I don't care how mad you are. Wait. Hold in your anger for five seconds. Let them come to a stopping point. Even if they got to leave the game, if it's that urgent, right? Just don't turn off their console while they're mid-gaming. My parents did this a few times when we fought or when they were mad at me while I was mid-game. And that just made things worse. I was just like, what the... You know, you explode. It's very frustrating. Especially if you're playing a game where you've been working all day trying to get through this difficulty point and then they someone just arbitrarily turns it off and you lose all your progress. That is very frustrating. Don't do that. Um, nowadays, video games have incredible sound design and a lot of games and multiplayer games require directional audio. You have to understand that this is a part of the experience. It's part of the immersion. That directional audio gives information, contextual information that's valuable and aids the player to make proper decisions in a game, such like Rainbow Six Siege or Hunt Showdown or things like that, even Call of Duty. When, especially this goes for significant others, couples, spouses, when your, when your partner, when your significant other is playing a game and you need to get their attention, first of all, most of these headphones are not noise-canceling. And even if they are, talk to them and say, hey, if you could turn off noise-canceling, great. If you can't, whatever. But can you have your game volume, your chat volume at a decent level where you can hear it, of course, but just turn down enough so if I talk, you can still kind of hear me. So we, you know, or tap them on the shoulder. Right? Let them know. Hey, uh, can we talk once you're done with your match, once you're done with this game, once you hit a save point? If you just want to talk or if you just want time with them. Don't just start talking to them. They're in the middle of something. That would, that's, 
Why would you do that? It's fine if you want to talk to them, and you should be able to get their attention at some point, right? And obviously, if it's an emergency, it's an emergency. But, but like, um, you know, don't don't talk to them. Don't vent. Don't don't say that they may not hear you. Make sure that there's a clear line of communication that you understand that they're listening to their game and their friends are talking right now. This is their gaming time, and that they'll talk to you either after that match or in between. Whatever. So many of my buddies have to, I, I realize this lately, they play with one earphone off their head to hear out in case they're called. I mean, hey, whatever floats your boat, if that's what works, that's what works. But I'll say this, if you have a partner who's a gamer, don't make them do that. Now, on the flip side, as a gamer, if you have a significant other, if you're living with someone else, keep an ear out in general. Don't have your shit so loud where you can't hear the world around you. That's not healthy for your ears. That's not healthy for your safety in case a fire alarm goes off or something. And if you're sharing a room or have a roommate or have a partner, you will naturally be louder if you can't hear yourself in any capacity. You can't hear what's around you. And that's very fucking annoying. I had a roommate who had noise-canceling headphones who had his shit up to the max and he was naturally loud. He was so fucking loud, I couldn't even have phone calls and do things in my own room. It was ridiculous. I couldn't even play video games with my friends because they would hear him and that would annoy them. Right? It was awful. So don't be like that if you're a gamer. You know, I don't have... I, I never do noise-canceling headphones for my games. I don't think that is... I, I just... I don't like that. I mean, I think it's cool for certain things, for movies and stuff, and for when I'm out in public, I got my AirPods so I can have noise-canceling mode. But, like, when I'm gaming... Um, first of all, they're headphones. They, they block out a lot of extra noise. You're, and you turn your mix up enough, you can hear the game just fine. There's no problem there, right? And, uh, so yeah, I, I just think that it's one of those things that's pretty manageable. Um, my entire life, like once I started playing with headphones, even when my parents called me from the other room, I could still hear them. I, I play my games loud enough to hear what's going on, but I also play it in a sense where I can still hear if someone's screaming my name. You know what I mean? And sometimes I don't. You know, sometimes I miss it. And they just come in the room and say, hey, can you hear me? I'm like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you. And hopefully they're not mad. <laughs> I'm just gaming. I'm just talking to friends. They may be mad for a minute, but it's like, you guys got to understand something. When a gamer is playing video games and they have that designated time, their buddies are jumping on or they told you they're going to go game, just know they're doing that. That would be like if you tell someone, hey, I'm going to go shower. Well, don't be mad at somebody if they can't hear you while they're showering if you're calling for them. That's unfair to them. That's They told you they were showering. You ought to at least know, right? <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's obviously, you know, you want to, if you, if you have kids or if, you know, you're living with your parents who may be fall hazard, obviously you may want to keep an eye out or an ear out, but you still can. All I'm saying is you can keep your headphones on and unless you're one of those people who blasts a lot of noise into you to where you can't hear shit around you, but I think it's a compromise. I do think though, if, like I have my friends who play without an earmuff and I realize that in games that include directional audio as a key feature like Rainbow Six, they suffer. <laughs> they suffer on that right flank because they are, or left or whatever it may be, because they are only listening to half of the directional audio. That greatly will impede their ability, and it's also just taking away the immersion. I don't think that's fair. I think 
when you're gaming and when you tell someone you're gaming, you should be able to game to the capacity. You buy a headphones that has two earmuffs. You're not buying one earmuff. Why the fuck would, you know what I mean? So when I was, even when I was with my lady and I was gaming while she was doing other stuff, I told, I said, you know, she understands it. And she, for one, she knows I can hear her if she calls my name, or if she says something and it's fine if she does, I don't mind that. Right. So, yeah. That's it. That's another thing. Also, partners, especially with uh, gamers who are adults who are playing with their friends. If you know they're playing with their friends, you got to understand one thing. Their friends can hear you. Not very well, very faintly in the background, because you got to also consider they're hearing the game, they're hearing their other friends, they're, and they're probably not even paying attention. So it's not a big deal, but if you're going to be super loud or obnoxious or if there's a lot of background noise... Please understand, if you're in the vicinity of the mic, whatever it may be, you may be picked up. So if you're saying stuff that's really private or personal or you don't want anyone else to hear, be aware of that. And if you want, just tell your significant other. Just say, hey, could you mute yourself real quick? And usually, most of us who have been doing this long enough will mute ourselves when someone else enters the room to talk. Or when we get a phone call or whatever, to be courteous for that privacy, for that divide. I am... All the time. I bet you it annoys the shit out of my friends, but anytime somebody else walks in the room to engage and talk to me, I meet myself immediately. Not because I don't trust my friends, not because they, not because the other person in the room particularly gives a shit, but it's just me. It's just how I would want to be. If I walked in the room on a friend of mine who was gaming, I, I you know, I would hope that their friends don't hear me. Right? I, probably don't care ultimately but it's just for me it's just a privacy uh and courteous thing to do that's all so yeah what else um also delays uh, th this goes across same with parents as i was saying before it's not just dinner it's doing anything oh can you grab it can you do this can you do that um I'm very thankful that my lady understands this and because she games a little bit, not a lot, but she does a little bit and she understands the gist of this. If she needs something from me, and obviously, once again, if it's absolutely urgent or time is of the essence or whatever, or it's an emergency, it's a whole different ballgame and I'm not counting that. That's its own thing. That should override everything. But when it's just a casual thing, if my lady needs something or wants to remind me of something or whatever... And she's in the same room as me. You know, she could talk to me about it, whatever. Or she could ask me to do it after the game. But if I'm in an online game or if I'm trying to hit a save point, she respects that I'm in the middle of something and, I'm, and, I, and she understands that I will once I hit a stopping point. Now, to each their own. I'm not saying that everybody will do that. You might have a partner who won't, who will just continue gaming or might forget or whatever. That's fine. But for me, once I know I need to do something afterwards, I will go at the... Most opportune time where I can pause or save or where the match is over, where there's downtime in between, where it's not affecting my game progress or my uh, friend's, you know, effort in winning the game or whatever, right? Because, for one, it's, it's annoying. You don't want to leave your console when you're a gamer, right? You don't want to leave your friends. You don't want to leave them in the dust. A lot of games and multiplayer games, if you're idle for more than a couple minutes, you get kicked, which sucks. So things like that. Um, so it's just a respect thing. 
And lastly, I just want to touch on this because I know this is actually the biggest issue that comes up with couples, with significant others, with partners, with living with a gamer. Time. I understand that when your partner or when you as a gamer decides to hop on a game, if you're an avid gamer, if you're trying to make some progress, if you're trying to have a... It's not one hour. And I'll talk about more about that in the next part, about some of the things people don't realize that happens in the life of a gamer. By the way, I know I was starting the whole thing about like meeting some of my best friends online. I was talking about C's. Let me just wrap that up real quick. I met him online. We started gaming. He introduced me to his friends. And now his friends are my friends. And we game every night at a set hour that works best with our schedule. We have a blast. We talk, we socialize, and it's one of the most valuable social communication, but mostly social interactions I have throughout my week, and I'm always looking forward to it. It's never exhausting, it's never draining. Obviously, I'm willing to, you know, take a few days off or nights when I, obviously, if I have work or something important, I have a date night with my lady, you know, but it's a habit, it's a routine, it's a, uh, it's an everyday, and so... It's invaluable, and I cherish that friendship, the communication, and, and just having fun, trying new games, sticking to old games, all that, and, and being an adult gamer. It's nice because it's a consistent. I can always look forward to it. I can always, even the shittiest days, I can try to get on. Sometimes I miss my window, and that sucks. <laughs> yeah, but it's okay because ultimately they've been great friends. And, you know, of course we text now. We're just good buddies in general. But it's one of those things that I, I cherish very, very deeply. Those types of friendships, those types of bonds. And I think in any capacity, at any age, people can make that connection. And it's invaluable. It will change your life for the better. That's one of the greatest benefits of gaming beyond the art and entertainment value is the socialization. So anyway, going back to that, gaming takes a while. You have to understand that when you play a video game, even whether you're new to playing video games or not, my girlfriend was playing Hogwarts Legacy. She just experienced this yesterday, and she understood how much it sucks. And I'll talk about that in the next segment. But um, gaming takes time. Sometimes you know kind of just if you've played the game enough, if you know the cadence, if you know that type of game, or if the game has a timer, you will know roughly how long that match might take or how long that segment, whether it's a match... Basically, what I mean by that is how long until the next downtime, the checkpoint, the save point, the end of the match, right? Where you're not losing progress and where you have an appropriate downtime, right? Gaming is addictive. Gaming is one of those things you want to keep pushing and playing and having fun in. And you can lose hours in it and have a blast. And I think that's one of the great things that is one of the beautiful things about gaming and one of the most dangerous things and also one thing that I struggle with a lot, trying to figure out where... And how to cut that and be appropriate and healthy. Because you, if you're a gamer, if you're like me, who's an adult, lives on their own and games and all that, you have to be cognizant and healthy with your approach to how you game. Because you don't have as many restrictions now. You still have restrictions. You gotta go work, you gotta pay the bills, you gotta take care of your you and your, yourself and your family, whatever, all that, right? But beyond that, I mean, when you have that downtime to game... How much do you game for how long? And you have to be careful that it doesn't get in the way of things, including your sleep, including other components. And it's hard. And sometimes you take it. Sometimes you're like, fuck it, I'll just stay up. One more match, right? The infamous one more match. It's a very true sentiment. And it's something that I think is okay to happen and crumble on a handful of times throughout the month. But in 
in its entirety, you don't want to let it take over your life. It's not healthy. It could be a part of your life. It could be a hobby. It could be something you love to do daily, but it shouldn't take over every other component of your life, right? Nothing should. I don't think that's healthy. But since gaming is such a time-consuming thing, you have to be real with your partners, and your partners have to understand this. And it might be an adjustment period. It might take a while for them to understand, and it's okay. That gaming takes a while. It could be too... For me, I, I say... I usually, if I'm jumping on at night, if I'm playing my daily gaming hours, is anywhere between two to three and a half hours, give or take. If it's a brand new game and I have an open time slot, a day off, brand new game, I could see myself sitting there for six hours. It sounds ludicrous, but it's just, it, it's a new game. I'm experiencing it for the first time. I'm enjoying myself. I've got nothing better to do. I'm relaxing. I'm taking care of myself, right? I'm not doing that six hour on a new game over other obligations. I'm not like missing a film shoot or missing a deadline of my project or skipping class. It's not like that. It's just a day where I have nothing else that is required of me. And I, and I budget my time for that. Today, while I'm recording this episode, I have nothing to do today. It's lovely. I fucking love it. I can do whatever I want. I can sit down and play a game all day. I don't usually want to do that. I want to do something productive in my day, push the needle a little further forward, and that's because I do music, I do film, and I'm super anxious and stressed about life. So video games for me is a great relaxation tool, but it also gives me immense amount of stress because I don't want to be wasting my time. Sometimes I'm playing a game that I love, and I'm like, oh man, am I wasting my time? I could be spending my hours being productive. And then I have to remind myself that I am productive. I still will spend my hours more than not being productive. So the hours I spend gaming, rewarding myself to relax, enjoy, socialize, kick back, and cool down is so important to my well-being. Because if I don't, I will not be as happy as a person. And I think ultimately that's all we want to be is happy. So anyway, when you're in a relationship and your partner is going to game or is gaming, understand it might be a while. Now you could talk to them and say, hey, how long do you think you're going to be? And if it's interrupting plans, hopefully if you're a gamer and you have a significant other, you're not gaming in spite of them. You're not gaming to override plans with them, right? It's a balancing act. Sometimes your partner's going to want your time more than others. Hopefully your partner is willing to play some games with you, but they may not want to play the same games you want to play with your buddies. So surround yourself with people who are flexible and who understand. Surround yourself, have gaming friends who understand if you're not getting on for the night because you're spending time with your partner. Or that you're going to be on, but you're going to be playing a different game with your partner in your own party. You're not going to join, but you know they might see you online. Have friends who will understand that, who won't take it the wrong way. And make sure with your partner that they don't take it the wrong way. Time and the jealousy of someone's time and attention is something that is becoming more apparent to me as I, you know, hit the sixth anniversary with my girlfriend, but we're in a long-distance relationship, so it's different. right? But we still have date nights, we still have FaceTime times, she still calls, right? But it's a little more passive. I can still talk to her while gaming, but she knows I'm gaming. And it, maybe it's not fair. Sometimes I feel bad. Maybe it's inappropriate to do that. But we also have this very direct, clear, and open, honest communication. If she feels like, if she just wants to talk to me, I've told her, I said, hey, you know, if you want me, I, I don't have to play games right now. You know? 
And I'm a little addicted. Sometimes I just want a game. But that's not in spite of her. That's not because I don't want to talk to her. It's just because I'm so used to playing at that time with those friends. It has nothing to do with my partner, though. And maybe that's why it can be taken in offense. So please, if you have a gaming partner or if you're a gamer who has a significant other who is going to want your time and you're playing, you got to compromise. But I'm biased. I will say that if you have a partner who is a gamer, understand that if they're living with you, they're living with you. You know, you'll get a lot of hours of the day and of the evening and of the weekends with them, right? So if they're playing to get online with their friends and they just want to play with them for an hour or two, I, honest to God, I don't think that's very severe. Hell, even up to three hours, you know? And the weekends might be a little later. Now, obviously, if you want to do movie night or date night or you want to go out, that's fine. And also, let them know in advance so they can tell their friends if they have a consistent friend group. I think all my buddies have that. And sometimes they don't want to get on. Sometimes they don't feel like playing. That's fine, too. I think in my friend group, we don't care. If you got something going on, if you're sick, if you don't feel up for it, if you got daddy duties, if you've got uh, an event, whatever, no one's harshing. We, we'll miss you. We want to play with you. We'll see you tomorrow or next day or whenever, right? No hard feelings between us. So I think that makes it really flexible. But it's also just about with your partner and your own enjoyment. Sometimes you want to game even if your partner doesn't want you to. And sometimes you have to make a compromise and just do what your partner wants that day. But I think it's fair if you have a gaming partner to let them know, hey, uh, Friday, you know, say it's Wednesday. Hey, Friday, can we uh, go out or can we go to a movie? Can we just stay and watch a movie? And they're like, yeah, what time? Did this? I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll let my buddies know. That way that gives them time to plan, prepare, and know so it's not so sudden. And so their friends know that they're not getting on. And it's not a big deal. Those are some general things I think you should all do as gamers so yeah i think that's really important being gamers and, and just understanding that it's a communication thing and i'll admit when you are a gamer it's kind of addictive it's really hard to just say oh because oh, oh. it's just objectively fun and it doesn't mean that being with your partner and going out and doing stuff isn't also fun it's just a different thing right i don't know maybe it's just me but like when i was Visiting my, my girlfriend, and, you know, I stayed with her for about a month and a month and a half, almost, yeah, about a month and a half, and, um, and I had a blast, and we found a really healthy balance. Now, of course, it's different once we fully move in and live with each other, right? Now, I had the summer off because I was visiting her in a state that I, I have no business in being in other than if I'm with her. She was there for work, so she would work, and then... You know, so the way I operate, for those of you who give a shit if you do, I don't often play a lot of video games during the day. I may turn on my console and stare at that blinking light, hoping to God I'll eventually get my ass on the console to chill out, but I don't. I make podcasts. I write songs. I write movies. I go and make movies. I hang out with friends. You know, I, I do all everything else because my brain is like, you gotta be a little productive. It's daylight, fucker. Because I know on the flip end of the day, I will be on at night because I have more pressure to do so. And not in a negative way, a good type of pressure. The other thing I meant to mention for people who are workaholics like me, I think I'm a workaholic, I don't know. 
having my friend group get on on a semi-consistent time, knowing we're going to play. I always look forward to talking to them, catching up, seeing how they're doing, whatever, just vibing, playing video games, playing whatever, right? It's always a good time. But beyond that, it unless I have something already, you know, I'm doing something with my partner, I'm doing whatever. But other than that, when I'm doing that, I if I know that I'll be on, like tonight, for example. I'll be on between 7.30 and, uh, you know, my friends get on between 7.30 and 8.30-ish. And they're on until 10, 10.30-ish. Not very long, an hour and a half, two hours maybe. Uh, on the weekends, it might be 30, 45 minutes longer to an hour longer. It just depends, right? If it's a new game, especially, we, we usually stay on a little later, right? But other than that, that's usually how it works. And... Um... I'll I'll be honest. It, it, it I'm not the healthiest about it. I I I am too religious about it, and it's because it's become a habit for the past two and a half years. So you can't knock me too much, but that's how we've been operating for two years. So even when I'm home with parents, even when I'm with my lady, and so I, in the past two years, I've been living alone more than I've been living with my parents, and more than I've been living with my lady. So when I'm living with other people who want my time, it is an adjustment period. And I kind of, it, it's on me, but I feel a little anxiety because I'm like, I kind of want to just get on with my friends, right? Oh, they're on right now. I'm having, I want it. I'm missing out, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out, all that. And I shouldn't feel that way. And my friends don't make me feel that way. They're very supportive and, and my family and my girlfriend is too. But it's just one of those things where I know, I do understand that and I'm, and it's going to take time. I'm going to get better at it. Um, you know, so when my lady came back from working and all that, now, to be fair, we were on a severe time difference. When I was visiting her, I was three hours ahead of my friend group, which was a strain on me. <laughs> I, I was not able to do that very well. I still did. I Luckily, I'm a night owl, so I was able to stay up. So by the time they were getting on, it was 11.30 midnight. My girlfriend fall, fell asleep around or before that time. So to be honest with you, to play with them, I just had to be quieter just because she was sleeping, but she could sleep through a gunshot. It's fine. <laughs> and so, yeah. So it worked just fine for me. However, if if we're all in the same time zone, it didn't work just fine. I don't love being three hours ahead. I missed that. It's a different thing. When you, I don't know. I, I, I missed Pacific Standard Time greatly for a lot of different reasons. But, um, but even if, you know, my girlfriend moves here and we live here, it will be tricky. I, I'm not going to lie, right? Because when we've when we're done with our workday and we find time to watch our show or watch a movie and have dinner together and have time together, it is around that time, usually, generally, when, you know, uh, my friends get on. So I'm okay with that. I will figure that out. You know what I mean? It's the same with my parents. And my friends know this now. When I go back home to visit my parents for that, for an extended time, um... I'm I'm not getting on until later. I I just won't be able to. And it and I'll be honest with you, I love spending time with my parents, but it frustrates me a little bit because 
my consistent friendship time group is cut down from anywhere between two to two and a half hours on average is cut down to 30 minutes to 45 minutes. So it's a balancing act. It's something I'm not perfect in and I'm working on it and I'm not trying to say video games is better than being with your partner. I, I, I don't want my partner to feel that I'm picking video games and picking my friend group over her all the time. But I'm a person of habit and of patterns. So I've been so used to the pattern of getting online in this time frame, being able to play with my friends, have a good time, then log off. Once I'm living with uh, my girlfriend, I'll figure out a new pattern. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll talk about it. We'll figure it out. But it's one of those things. It'll, it'll be an adjustment period. And there'll be days where I won't be happy about it. And there'll be days where she's not happy about it. That, I guess that's just kind of the, the finding of the compromise, right? But I don't want it to ever be a constant struggle or battle. And I don't ever want it for my girlfriend and for my family to feel like they can't have time with me because I'd rather play with a, these friends online, right? You know, just play video games instead of them. I can understand if you're on the flip side of that, that doesn't feel great, right? So it's a balancing act. And I think uh, just in general, when you are when you have a partner, you, you do need to let them do their own thing. When, I think a lot of people get confused and mixed up. I, a lot of my friends who have had um, relationships, especially some of my buddies from high school who had shitty relationships, a lot of them, you know, I was very fortunate. You know, I found the woman of my dreams and we've been making it work and it's not easy all the time, especially long distance, but we figure it out, right? But we respect each other, we're always honest, and we, we tell each other when we don't like what's going on after a while. We're like, uh, you know, can we figure something out about this? This is frustrating. You know what I mean? But we're trying to be fair, we're trying to be considerate to the other's lifestyle, right? Because it is long distance, so it's harder to, you know, balance that sometimes. But here's the thing. I think it's important to let your your significant other be their own person. Just because you're living with them or just because you're in a relationship with somebody doesn't mean that their time, energy, and existence belongs solely to you. Usually we can be respectful of the boundaries when they're doing stuff they have to work, school, you know what I mean? Uh, being with their direct family, whatever. Usually we can respect that, but... It's the other times. It's when they want to go out with friends. It's when they want to watch a movie, maybe alone, or a show, or go play video games with their friends, or whatever, right? Or I just have alone time. It is incumbent upon both parties of this to communicate that, hey, uh, I, I want to play video games with my friends at this time most of the time. Now, obviously, if you want to do something that time, just let me know. But that's going to be the default. You know, we'll have time before, we'll have time after, Right? You'll still get the majority of my time. It's just that two-hour window of the day, of the evening, I'd like to be with my friends. I personally think that's a fine compromise. However, it's understandable if that two-hour window is really the only two hours you can be fully available to your significant other due to working, uh, to, due to work and schedules and, and such. So it, it's a balancing act. It's tough. It is tough because video games is consuming, but it's fun. And so you don't want to give it up, and I, I get it. I do. And it's something that I've been thinking about a lot as I prepare to live with my significant other. I am very excited for it. I've been in a long-distance relationship with her for three, three and a half years, and it's been 
it's been tough, but it's been worth it. So I'm excited. And, and being with her just for a month and a half, I know it's not the full experience, but it's, it gave me insight, made me realize and all these things. And, uh, it worked for that frame because she was so tired by the time, like even on the weekends when she didn't have work and we were just chilling, she was so tired from working so much she would just sleep. And it wasn't because she didn't want to hang out with me. It wasn't because I was gaming. It was because she was tired and she wanted to sleep. And I was fine with that. But See, so it's the other flip side because we're all human. We're all social beings, right? So you have to understand that your partner, even if they're not a gamer... They're going to need their own time, whether that's to sleep, listen to music, watch movies, or go out with friends. I remember my, my girlfriend wanted to go out with her friend to Boston. And um, it was like, it's like a two and a half hour drive there. They wanted to be there for the afternoon. It was the weekend, it was, you know, it was whatever. And then she'd be back by nighttime. And she was asked, you know, and so she told me, she's like, is that, are you cool with that? Do you? Um, yeah, because it wasn't like it was just like two hours. It was the whole day and even even into the evening. So if I wanted to do something with her, I had plans, you know. And the first thing I asked, and, uh, you know, it's only because we know how to talk to each other. That's part of it. But the first thing I asked is, am I invited by your friend? Because that changes the dynamic, right? If I was invited, if I was considered, then I have to consider if I want to go. <laughs> and if I should go and all that, right? And if I wasn't invited, well, then I'm not going. I'm not going to auto-invite myself. I'm not going to pressure them. She was inviting her friend. I'm not taking any ill will. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. Right? Because I get it. We have friends. Sometimes we want to do stuff just with that friend and we don't want to involve our partner. Not because we don't love our partner, but because we just want to do stuff with that friend for the day. It's not the end of the world. We'll see our partner within by the end of the day. You know what I mean? So I get it. And so I asked her that. And she said, oh, no, you weren't invited. Would you, are, are you okay? Like, and, you know, my girlfriend was very considerate about how I was feeling. And she was worried. She didn't want me to be cut out. And she didn't want me to feel like I was being left out. And what she didn't understand is I didn't mind. Because I do that every night with my friends to her. Not against her. Not in any mal-intent way. No malice. Just... I play games that she doesn't want to play with friends of mine just for a few hours. And at that time, it was at a time frame where she was asleep anyway, so it didn't matter. But it was just like one of those things where, and I'm like, you're fine. I'm just going to game and do, I'm just going to do what I do when you're at work. I'm going to work on stuff and then I'm going to game. You're fine. Have fun. So it's that balancing act. I, it's, I don't think it's healthy when, you know, a couple's like, no, no, no. Either I come or you don't go at all. Well, now no one's happy. Because did you really want to go to that? And why stop them from doing something they want to do with their friend? You know what I mean? So it's a balancing act and teach their own. I'm not here to tell you how to, how to live your life. But I, I think I have found a pretty good uh, compromise and, and way to communicate that with my partner. But one thing she doesn't realize is how much I actually game. Well, she realizes it, but she doesn't. she doesn't, um, she understands, but she doesn't understand in the sense that I don't know. Maybe I don't understand, actually. Maybe it's one of those things where I don't understand that she's actually just fine with it. It really doesn't bother her because she does things on her own, too. It, And it could be at those times. So it's just communication. If you want to do something with your partner and 
and your partner is a gamer and you, you know they're going to get online at a certain hour to play that new game or to play with their friends or stuff, be cognizant of that. Be aware. Let them know in advance so they can plan. And if for some reason it's a special night, like, oh, it's a seasonal event, or, oh, we're, we, all the guys have their schedules free for an extra hour and we're trying to climb the ranks, or this new game is coming out, we all have it pre-installed and we want to try it, right? Things like that. Be considerate of that, right? I, it's always a balancing act. It's tough. It's not easy being a gamer. Let me talk about some of the things that are difficult in a gamer beyond the, the lifestyle and the time consumption. Because it is a time consumption, right? You can get into a game. You could be stuck. You could be wanting to play for hours. So you have to balance. You have to make sure it's not taking away from productivity. So that's why I've kind of just naturally have this motivation to drive. And I'm very fortunate. Now, to be fair... Well, now I'm, I have an internship, so I do a lot there. But a lot of my work, I've known ever since I started school that with music and film and all these things, a lot of that work up until the actual production of it, the recording of it, or the shooting of the film, right, can be done remotely. The writing process, the planning process, the thinking of it, right? I could do that anywhere at any time, with my phone, with my laptop, in between, whatever. It helps me. It centers me. I enjoy doing it. It's my career path, so it's multi-purposed, right? And so during the day, like right now, like today, it's Sunday, it's a chill day, I've got nothing to do. I don't have obligations. It's great. I love days like this. I only need at least one day like this in the week. Two is preferable, but one is good enough, and then to have a few hours of that type of no pressure, no commitment, chill time daily, I can, I can live my life without exploding, right? So, with that in mind, I, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. And, um, but I try to do my work or I try to do something semi-productive. So I feel like maybe it's just me being crazy. So I feel like I'm not wasting my time. Because I don't think gaming is a waste of time. I think it's very valuable and it's entertaining and it's fun. However, I do understand that for me, I might feel worse if I just sit and game all day, except for the fact that I know if I'm in the middle of releasing a project or something and I'm rewarding myself, or if it's a new game, new games get a pass because they're new, and I'm trying them, and I understand that. Like, Starfield's about to come out. I've talked about that. I am getting more excited for that progressively. I think I'm tempering my expectations and my hype, and I'm just being realistic. It is a Bethesda game. It's not going to be my all-time favorite game. I've still got to do everything, right? But it's going to be cool. I might like it. I don't know. I'm getting on Game Pass. I'm not losing much money from it, so it's fine either way. I'm excited to try it. It's coming out Wednesday my time. So, you know, I'll be playing it throughout the week. And by next weekend, I'll be playing it. And I'll be having a podcast and an initial thoughts on Starfield Fall Show. So that's going to be exciting. But my point is that I'm going to be playing it. I'm going to be having a blast. And I think that, you know, I'm... The same day that that game comes out, God willing, spoiler, I should be distributing my album that is, it should, hopefully it'll be completed and I'll distribute it for distribution and then of course the release date will be at a later time, but I'll be distributing it. That's a huge feat. For those of you who do not know how hard it is and how stressful it is to make an album, and I've been working on this album for a year, so I will be rewarding myself greatly. I need the break. I need the time to pat myself on the back, to reward myself, and to chill. 
before I explode because I still have a shit ton of other things that I'm in the process. I have two other albums I'm working on. I've got multiple films on my own. I've got an internship and I'm finishing school. <laughs> I've got a lot on my plate. So having a day or two to chill, to relax, to remind myself I should enjoy the things because I work to relax. I don't know what other people work for. I mean, I, I want to get paid. I want to be successful. I want my art and my creations to entertain, inform, and help those uh, who see it. Of course, that's my ultimate goals, right? But I also, day to day, I do stuff so I can get to a point where I can relax and enjoy the things I have in life. I think a lot of us do without realizing. But games are fun and they're addictive. And they're not like, I mean, they could be unhealthy addictive, but I don't mean they're like, I don't mean addictive in a negative sense per se. I mean it in a way where it's like, you will lose time. It's so fun sometimes. And depends on the game, depends on what you're doing. So you really just gotta... So I I know myself, so I know if I sit down and I game, and especially if I'm doing a new game, even even if it's not bumping into other obligations, I wanna be able to say I've done something. I think podcast is a really healthy thing for me because I'm able to at least do something semi-productive. It's not the most productive, but it's something and it helps me and, you know, I don't know. It's, it's not as straining. I don't know. Sometimes people balance like uh, how much they've done in the week and so the weekend is that reward and I, I'm going to start doing that as well. Right, because if I've written a song, recorded another song, finished the distribution plans for one, finished my first week of internship, um, and you know whatever, and got two pages further in my screenplay, which I've done all of that in the past week. Oh, and I've started a new Unreal Engine CGI project, which is pretty cool. Well, I started drawing out the plans for the outlining it. But so anyway, my point is, I've I've done a lot of productive things just within the week. So even if I don't do something within the day, I ought to give myself a time to chill and enjoy life right that is a balancing act and games are addictive and they're hard it's hard to gauge that i want to tell you a quick story so my girlfriend was playing hogwarts legacy yesterday now she's gamed before she's had games and she's been gaming for the past i don't know four or five years she doesn't game like i do there's no slight on her she's it's just not something she does like that she will game Quite a bit at times, especially when she gets into a game. Holy fuck. Her dedication to certain games, when she gets into it, it's over. She will lap me in hours and in progress and in speed like a motherfucker. And I love her for it. It's incredible. But there are games that she... I mean, she wasn't she wasn't raised on playing video games. And I feel like this is something that's a really interesting thing I've realized. There are things that when you've been raised on video games that you pick up on faster. Because you just learned it sooner. So I don't doubt at any point she can't learn it. It's just going to take a little longer, and it's going to take more time and dedication. And right now, she's busy as well, you know? And the career path she has doesn't actually afford her a lot of time to learn and play video games. But she still may get an hour at night. She may still get a day off where she has nothing better to do. But video games are frustrating. I talked about some of the similarities in like the lifestyle and what it's like being a gamer lifestyle-wise and making those, having a partner and parents, all that, right? That's important. Here's some other things that you may not know about gamers that if you're a gamer, you may understand. Gaming is not just turning on and playing the game. 
God, if it was that simple, we'd be sinking so many more hours and minutes into the games we love. Even if you have the game that you know you want to play, let's just assume you do that. But a lot of the times you're like, oh, what do I want to play today? Obviously, if you're playing a new game or you're trying to push through something, you know, that might be in your rotation. It's kind of like movies or shows or like a cue list. I don't know. To me, I have like anywhere between three to five games in rotation that I'm either games that I've had for years that I just like to play, right? Multiplayer games or whatever. That new game I'm trying to beat or trying to complete this on. That one game I may be revisiting. Whatever, right? Or the brand new game that just came out. Obviously, that makes more sense, right? So anyway, it's a mixture. And now with Game Pass and all these subscriptions, and as a gamer, there's one thing we all can agree on, regardless of what console and what you do and how often you game. If you're consistent enough, you have a library and a back catalog of games you have not touched. And you feel guilty. You see the money and the dust collecting right there. You're like, Jesus, why did I buy that? I haven't even touched it. I have barely played it. Whatever, right? Who cares? I know it's hard to, like, I know in totality you think about that and you're like, oh, it's easier said than done, but think about it. Seriously, who cares? I've talked about the value of time, energy, in life and, and how that might pertain to certain things we do, like video games. And is the cost of admission worth the value that you're getting out of it and how to gauge that? I've talked about that in previous episodes. You can check that out. I think it's called The Value of Time. Um, I think it's important to understand that. However, I also understand that sometimes we just make an error. We buy a game that we think we're going to like that we don't. Maybe we're not ready for it. Maybe we just don't like it because it's not what we thought it would be. Gaming is somewhat of a gamble because we don't get to try games anymore. It's not like the days we can rent the game. Sometimes there's demos. Sometimes there's betas, praise the Lord. Things like that, that'll help you get an idea. But it may not be enough to know if you're really going to get your, uh, sink your teeth in it. So it's all about the marketing hype and promo. That's why gamers can just pre-order the games up the wazoo. Listen, those, like, let's talk about Starfield, right? It's selling, like, hotcakes, all that. For those who do not have Game Pass, because that this, uh, the Game Pass is a huge factor that really helps make this more manageable. But let's take Game Pass out of the equation. Say you have a PC, you're not subscribed to Game Pass, and you desperately are interested, you love all the Bethesda games, and you're, you want to, try Starfield, but you know that Bethesda games have problems, it may not be what you're hoping, right? You know to temper your hype after Fallout 76. <laughs> Say you're one of those types of people. That's fine. I'm one of those types of people too. I didn't even buy Fallout 76, but I know with Bethesda games, I like them, but I only like them to an extent, so I know how to balance myself with the hype for Bethesda games, right? Here's the problem. You cannot know if you're going to like that game unless you fucking buy it. Now, luckily with Game Pass, I guess you could do like $15 for the month and then try it that way. That's fine. But let's say it wasn't, hypothetically, let's say it wasn't even on Game Pass for Starfield. You could just, you had no option to trial or demo it. You just had to buy it. Most storefronts online give you a brief window, seven days or three hours of gameplay or whatever. But three hours is usually not enough time to get the idea of the game. Especially a game like Starfield, I've heard it takes a while to click. You gotta stick with it. Right? So that's not even fair. Um, you understand where that is a problem? Where even you could do as much research, you could watch your favorite reviews, you could, but at the end of the day, you either have to just pull the trigger and pay the 60 bucks and hope that you like it. Hope that it is what you want and that you stick with it. And if not, then you're 60 out. 
That's that's it. You just don't have $70 or $60 or $70 anymore. That's it. That's all it is. It is somewhat of a gamble. But please do understand, as you do more, as you become an adult, as you play more games, the more you play, and as you have more opportunities to try games with less risk of your wallet and your time, such as Game Pass, such as PlayStation Essentials, such as these other subscription models and methods, these free games, these demos, these trials, these open betas, these alphas, all these other components, hell, even playing it at a buddy's house, which can be very valuable, it's very helpful, but all in all, you still sometimes run into that great conundrum. Am I going to get this? It might be a franchise. It might be a game you've been waiting for, so you know inherently you're going to get it. Remnant 2 and Diablo 4 were that way. I loved the previous entries of those, and I knew I was going to get them. It wasn't really a question. It was a question of just which edition and when and why. That's all. right? And I did, and I'm happy I did. Both those games have been my top two games of the year. But I know myself. I've refined my taste enough. Listen, I wanted Armored Core. I love FromSoft games, but this is not a Dark Souls-like game. And that doesn't mean it's inherently bad. I still kind of want Armored Core, but it was single-player, plus all these other games coming out. I just decided to hold off on Armored Core. I'll get it when it's on a discount, when I have the time. But right now, with all these other games that I'm more interested in, that I'm playing, and these games that have multiplayer components, since my most consistent window is when my friends are on, you know... It just makes more sense to me. Now, Starfield is completely single-player. That's a whole different ballgame. However, Starfield, I don't have to buy it because I have Game Pass. Yeah, technically, I'm paying 17 or whatever a month, but I get so many other games that I'm already going to play, have been playing, continue to play, and it's also how I'm able to stay online with my friends, so it's a no-brainer, right? Um, so I don't have to pay 40 extra dollars. I don't have to pay $70 outright to try Starfield. I am going to play that game. I'm going to enjoy it. And I enjoy the fact that I don't have to pay full price for a Bethesda game. Because honestly, if I did, that actually might not have me get it. But I might. I might crumble under a hype. I've heard nothing but good things. I'm an advocate for the gaming community. And if I'm missing out on one of the big games of the year, that feels weird. So I'd probably still buy it. So it's a balancing act. So it's kind of a gamble, but it's usually worth it. And the more you know, the more you play, the more you learn about yourself, you learn what you like, and you buck the hype. You say, fuck it, I know myself. I put aside the hype. I know myself. I like Bethesda games. I like RPG games. I love space games. But I don't love Bethesda games like that. I don't love it to the point where some of the people who are Bethesda heads really do. I've got nothing against them. You know, if you love Skyrim like that, if you love Fallout 4, all that, great. More power to you. I love those games. Well, I like them. I like them a lot. I think they're phenomenal games. But they're not like Elden Ring to me or Remnant 2. I like those types of games more. You know what I mean? Teach their own, right? But I've learned that over time. I've learned what clicks and what doesn't click. And sometimes it's kind of in the middle and I'm not sure. Dead Island 2 was kind of a toss-up. I was like, ooh, I loved the first Dead Island. This game looks fucking awesome. It's co-op. Like, it checked all the boxes off and it wasn't even a full-price game, was it? Yeah, it was, but I got it at a discount because I had some extra points saved up. So it's like, uh, I don't know. And I'm glad I got it. So one of my favorite games of the year as well. It's probably top five at least. It was a blast. And I played it through. We beat the campaign, played it with my friends, played some of the extra side missions. I mean, it was a digestible game that had a, I had a blast. And I actually want more content. 
I'd love for a seasonal content update. More areas, more missions, more more weapons, more modes. I, I just something because that game is just so well made and such a blast. It was a great time. So I'm glad I bit, I bit the bullet. I did that instead of buying the new Star Wars game. Why? I love Star Wars. Star Wars is one of my favorite franchises. It's a no-brainer that I would get Star Wars Jedi Survivor, right? Nope. I loved Fallen Order. Not as much as I thought I would. It was weird. I loved it. I thought it was a great game. But, like, like when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Like, a Dark Souls-esque style of gameplay for Star Wars? This is perfect. This couldn't be better. And then when I was playing, I'm like, and by Respawn, one of my favorite dev teams that did Titanfall? No-brainer. And I got it, and I loved it. And I beat it and all that, but I will say that when I was playing it, I'm like, this feels a little stripped. It feels a little, like it doesn't fully click. It's not like Sekiro. It's not like Elden. It doesn't quite have that, that thing that I'm looking for. I don't even know what it was at the time. So I still liked it. But when I saw that Survivor was pretty much more of the same, with some expansions and some improvements, of course, and it still looks great and I still want to get it, I was like, I'll wait. It'll be on EA Play soon enough. That's part of Game Pass Ultimate. I'll get it for free. I won't have to pay 70 So I made the purchase on Dead Island 2 because that, that was a different thing and that was something I knew I could actually get through. It's a balancing act. Sometimes I miss, but I'm getting better every year. I'm getting more refined. and I'm So when I purchase a game outright, it is one of the better games I have in my library for the time and it might make my favorite list. You know what I mean? So, I think I only bought two full-price games last year, and one of those was Elden Ring, and that's my one of my all-time favorite games ever. Remnant 2 is now up in my all-time favorite games. I took a break from it. I got my ass handed to me in Pocos, but I beat the game. I have 100 hours in that game. I have got my money's worth out of Remnant for $40. Absolutely one of the best games of the year. Diablo 4, same way. And I'm actually going to play some more Diablo today. I love that game, and I'm getting back into it. Took a break from it, played some Remnant, had a blast with Remnant, taking a break from Remnant, playing Diablo, then Starfield. You know what I mean? It's all good. But it's that balancing of time. It's difficult. So with that, there's some other complications that come with gaming. Some small technical things. First of all, when you jump on and you game, if you're not a gamer, you may not be aware of this, right? It's not that simple. you got to join the party with your friends if you're doing that. Say you have your game picked, load in the game. If it's an online game, you better hope to God the servers are working. It may freeze, it may glitch, you may have to close out. There may be loading times. It may take a while to find that game. Right? Or you may have to customize your setup. Or you might have to unlock your rewards. There's very few games that are really easy to just jump in, load in, and play quickly. So the actual playtime, the fun part, you know, the whole thing that we're doing this for, might be truncated more than people realize. So I'll tell you this much. If you're a parent and you only give your kid an hour to play an online video game with friends, you are doing a disservice to them. Because they're actually getting about 25 to 30 minutes of gameplay time. I swear to God, they are. You gotta, you gotta give them. That's one match for most games. <sighs> Um, other than maybe Rocket League, that's one that that might not even be a full match. Like a Rainbow Six Siege standard match is about 25 to 35 minutes long. Okay, but you got to think about booting up the game, loading in, picking your operators, 
Hopefully if the servers are fine. It doesn't take very long to load in a Rambo, but it might take five, six, seven minutes. Total. From the time you turn on your console to the time you're in a game. Okay? And then with rainbows specifically, if you're picking your operator, banning phase, all that. Then the preparation, well then I guess you start the game, you have the prep phase, the attack phase, all that. And if you die, you're watching everyone else play. So, yeah. Hell Let Loose is another good example. Great game, I love it a lot. I will say though, that game is time consuming in weird ways. When you spawn in, those games take, those games on average take hour to 90 minutes. If you're an adult and you want to play one full match or two full matches of a game or however many, un you, unless it's a brand new game, you got to understand how much time it might take. And it sucks when you have to play a game against the clock. So let me go back to the story with my girlfriend. I'm sorry, I went way off on a tangent. Jesus, I forgot I was even going to say this story. She was playing Hogwarts Legacy, right? And I was saying, like, she, she plays video games. She's familiar with it. She really got into Animal Crossing. She's got obsessed with that one. You know, Minecraft. I mean, she's great at a bunch of games. But she's still getting used to some of the more traditional AAA games. Now, I haven't played Hogwarts Legacy. It interests me, but it's just a game I wasn't willing to spend money on. Money on just yet so i bought it for her so anyway um because she's a big harry potter fan and i was like yeah this is a no-brainer of course you're gonna want to play this so she was playing this yesterday now she had an obligation she had a family thing that she had to get to like within two hours or so she started a mission that she wasn't unaware of that would have that was a difficult mission because it was like a main boss or checkpoint i don't even know what it was and it took her a while okay like an hour or so which honestly ain't that bad but i understand when you're up against the clock when you're trying to get to your parent when you know you have something coming up in an hour or so it sucks you're racing against the clock yeah come on come on come on, come on. and she couldn't get to a checkpoint because they don't have checkpoints in the fucking game or whatever it's weird it's some sort of takes a while at least and so she had to turn off a console she just had to bite the bullet and she lost that progress and i just had to calm her down she was so pissed and i get it guys games are frustrating sometimes Video games can do stuff to you that, that you don't realize until you're there, but they can be extremely frustrating. Whether it's a bug or a mechanic that is just working against you in every capacity, or it's a, just a hard game. Remnant 2's final boss, I've talked about this before. Once again, Remnant 2 is one of my favorite games. That boss took me three days. That boss took me like 20 hours to, fi to finally kill. Of total gameplay time, between the course of like three or four days, I think. So... That's a fuck ton of time for one boss. It's very, very frustrating. It's a time suck. You're like, I'm wasting my fucking time. Come on. I'm having fun. But like at a certain point, like you're wasting so much time. You're like, Jesus Christ, I could be spending this more productively, right? I, I have to cut that mentality out. And I don't think people should carry that mentality. You, you, hopefully you do other productive things. You're doing things in life that are balancing it. So the few hours you're playing in a day, especially if it's a new game, right? And you're spending a few more hours is no big deal, right? But anyway, my point is, it's just like, Jesus, come on. It's good to have a mix of games that you like, for one. Obviously, games you like, but a mix of how challenging they are. We all like different games for different reasons. But there is something that's universal. There are some games that you, that are more casual and that are more difficult, hardcore. And you can like both of them for different reasons, right? So I've got a mixture now, I naturally gravitate towards games that punish me deeply. Uh, maybe it's a fetish. I don't know. I might be a masochist or a sadist or whatever, but like, I'm, I play games that fuck me up pretty good. It's not, 
But I love that challenge. I blame my parents, once again, because they taught me arcade games. That's where I started. That's my roots of gaming, right? Classic arcade games. That is the greatest golden rule of overcoming adversity, and I think that has helped me tremendously in life process hardships. So, I am very patient to games that fuck me over a bajillion times because I learn from them. I think those types of games are some of the best designed. And they could be very micro. Even casual. Every game has a consequence to your actions, good or bad, right? That's natural. It just depends on how severe it punishes you for that when it's bad, right? We all know the souls born from soft type are difficult. Not only are they just exponentially harder to understand, to play mechanically, and the bosses are just going to fuck you up. It's not an easy game. There's no way to cut it. It's just not an easy game. It's not a game for beginners. I, I love those games. I'd love my girlfriend to play Elden Ring. I think Elden Ring is the best way to introduce people to this type of genre, or Remnant 2, for that matter. But to be honest with you, I still don't think she'd like that right now because there's still some fundamental things that she needs to become more familiar with. She's learned them. She just needs to become more comfortable with them, you know? And it just depends on the game. Some games aren't as well balanced. The reason why I point out FromSoft is even though they're super difficult, they're fairly balanced. So other game devs, I can't speak on the Harry Potter game devs. I can't speak on every other game dev. I can speak on what I've seen and observed over time but FromSoft and Gunfire Games that did Remnant and a handful of others can do that in a balanced way. Where it's still punishing, it's hard as hell, but you could still overcome it given the time and the dedication. But there are some games that are a little too overbalanced and it the 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 scale of how much time and dedication it takes is just just unrealistic, honestly. So it just depends, honestly, it does. But I do like more hardcore games, right? Rainbow Six Siege, Hell Let Loose, Remnant 2, even Halo Reach is multiplayer. I played the SWAT modes and shit like that and Team Snipers, you know? The insta-death, though. Where the fuck did that come from? The more challenge, right? I don't know, it makes me more focused. I enjoy it more. I enjoy the pressure of it. I, I just have more fun with the challenge because, and now that I've played those games and beaten Sekiro and really good at Halo and really good at Rainbow and Rocket League, those are, I'd say, I love R's for some reason. My girlfriend's last name is, starts with an R, Halo Reach, Remnant 2, Elden Ring, Remnant 1, Rocket League, Rainbow Six Siege, all R's. Isn't that weird? Anyway, um... So yeah, with all that in mind, like all those games are very difficult at a certain point. Some of them are easy to pick up and play. I'd say Rocket League is the most casual. If you're playing casual, it's fine. It's fun. If you don't take it seriously, you can just have fun. It's not too stressful. But that game is hard. I think anybody who's picked up that game has realized that game is easy to at least control the basics, hard to master and maneuver and get good. And with the skill-based matchmaking, it becomes very difficult. And I've become very good at that game, and now I'm not the best at it by any means. My buddy Ethan is really good at it. He's getting to... Actually, all my friends have become so good at it. I've had a two-year head start. Actually, more. But I've had a two-year of dedicated playing Rocket League time. Head start over my friends. But once I got them into it, they learned so fucking quickly by playing with me. Possibly mimicking some of my moves. I don't know. But just playing with me and experiencing the game and playing it consistently enough, they got really fucking good at it. Like... Statistically speaking, they will surpass me once they hit the same time that I've dedicated to it. 
All of them. And my consistent buddy group, shout out to them. Uh, C's, Austin, and Ethan. Once again, not given last names. But anyway, um, they're all really good at Rocket League. And they have half the time that I have. So if I look at their stats when they read it to me, if you double their stats, they're surpassing me in every area. It's a little embarrassing because I have more time. I have double the time than all of them in the game. And I've been playing it for years stretched across. They've been playing it for a year and a half. I've I've had it since 2016, and I've been seriously playing it since 2021. So, yeah, it's wild. It's, It's absolutely wild how fast of learners they are and how good they get once they stick to it. So. Um, And it's great. I mean, I remember when we first started playing Rocket League and I was getting them into it, and I knew there were going to be noobs to it. I I, I was aware of that, but for the first, I'd say, uh, 15 hours or so total of them being new to it, and before it finally started to click enough where they can time things right and hit the ball and jump and, and boost on, you know, just get the timing and the flow of the games enough where they're a little more self-sufficient. I remember every time that ball was hit up in the air and they thought they were going to have that angle, I just had to get boost and just had to be ready. They forced me to rapidly become exponentially better because I had to cover and compensate for three of my friends at the same time. It was a sweaty first few hours for me. And luckily I was still in peak and I was still in the groove and all of that. And I'm still good at it now. I'd say I'm better at it now than I was. I just, it doesn't feel that way because now they're almost as good as me. In fact, they are better than me. It's, it's, it's honestly just a time thing. They are technically better than me. And statistically, they are better than me. When you factor how much time they've played. Right? I have more stats than them. I get more MVPs. I score more goals. I'm more of a striker anyway. We all kind of fulfill our own different roles. So that's part of it, right? But but even then, overall, my stats exceed all of theirs. But that's not a bragging point. That is nothing because I have seven and a half days in the game. I think Ethan, who's closest, who's played the most more than my other friends, and it's shown because he is, I would say, technically the second best. And I'm not trying to divide or cause. It's just because he's played more. That's it. They're all really good at the game, considering the time they've played. He's at about five days or so. So he's only two days behind me now. And we looked at his stats, and we're like, if we added... If we, you know, if we did the proper... We did a, I did a quick calculation that was like the proper math to compensate for if, they, if he equaled the time that I have with the stats he has now, he will surpass me by almost 25% across the board. Austin, my buddy Austin, who doesn't play Rocket League as much now, playing Diablo, which is awesome. I'm glad I got him in that game. Peer pressure. The power of peer pressure. Or the art of peer pressure, you say, as Kendrick once said in a little song. Um, he doesn't play it nearly as much. He has the least amount of time by like a metric fuck done. He has like three days in it. I think C's is at like four and a half, almost at five. Maybe he sees that three days. Austin is like, percentage-wise, he's like 25 to 50% less time spent in the game than all of us, right? Even then, now he mostly usually plays defensive and goalie. Even then, 
if we tallied his stats up to the time that I'm at, I he he surpassed me in all defensive maneuvers, all long goals, and he'd come pretty close to my amount of goals. He's averaging this. He's per match average. He told me when we played recently, he has near the same per match average goals that I do. And I'm a striker. He's a goalie. So imagine if he was a striker. You know what I mean? And that's him. And he's the least amount of time. So all, all I'm saying is they've exponentially become better. So once they get to as much time as I've played on it in general, yeah, they'll surpass me. I mean, I'll keep playing it too. I'll keep up. But it's just like, Within a year and a half, they have learned an entire new game that is not easy to master, and they are mastered it. They've mastered, they've all mastered it. Our buddy Vince got it recently. He's a noob now. He's getting into it, and I'm retraining myself to compensate for that. That's okay. I swear to God, he's going to follow the same trajectory as everyone else. It's just natural. It's a game that is designed to do that. The more time you play, the better you're going to get, because you're just more familiar with it. It's the same with Rainbow Six. Ethan is the newest to it. Austin and I have played Rainbow Six the most. Um, and C's is also new to it, but not as new as Ethan. I have seen how much better C's has gotten in Rainbow Six Siege just in the past month and a half. It's fucking crazy. And Rocket League. For him, Rocket League is finally clicked in a way I've never seen before. He is really good at Rocket League now. It's like that... There is that moment where everything clicks in a game. It's part of the learning curve, right? You you play the game, you get your ass whooped, da, 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 you maybe get some upgrades, whatever, however the game works. You play it, you play it, you learn some general things. And then there's that one match, that one moment where it all kind of clicks and you do everything in a polished way. You pull it off. It's quite impressive. It clicked a couple nights ago. Like, I mean, I think, it, I mean, it's, it's more gradual. It's not immediate, right? It's over time. Right? You just get better. But I fully noticed it clicking with Season Rocket League when we were playing a tournament. He was the MVP for multiple games, whereas he was never an MVP in a tournament before. I mean, it was just proof was in the pudding, as those white folks like to say. And he had the most saves. He had a fair amount of goals. He was just a threat in and off the field. He he and Ethan helped carry. I wasn't doing particularly that great in those tournament games until the very end when it mattered, thank God. And we won the tournament, which is very hard to do in Rocket League. So it was evident, you know. Same with Rainbow Six Siege. Now, they are newer to that than they are Rocket League, and they don't play that as much as Rocket League, so that's actually, they're still in the noob phase. Austin and I are not. We've been playing that game for years. We are quite good at it. But they're picking up. I'm yesterday we were playing, I was dead every time and watching C's clutch more than not. And it Rainbow and Rocket and all those it also depends on the day. Depends on how you're doing, your energy levels, how you're feeling, if you're clicking with it. So that's part of it. It's kinda like chess. You may know the game, but it, are you in the groove, right? Games are difficult, folks. They're technically difficult sometimes, they don't work, they're bugs. It's confusing. It takes a while to set up, servers are down. Beyond that. Sometimes the systems, the menus, the, the how to upgrade, the, what the hell does this do? That's complicated. Learning the lore, the map design can be very fucking confusing. You can be lost like a motherfucker in certain games. Games are hard. They take a lot of thought and they take a lot of time to learn. So time is of the essence sometimes.
It really is. And well-made games respect your time in two ways. One, they allow you to have fun, play the game, and learn it in a healthy time frame where you don't feel like you have to log 12 bajillion hours to finally let it click. I personally believe the click of a game where it's like, oh, like you're learning it, you're like a baby, kind of crawling, walking, stumbling, and then when it clicks, you're walking stably, maybe even getting some runs, little sprints where you're doing real well at certain peaks. That click moment in a game life cycle, it depends on the game, but personally, I believe it should be no more than about 30 to 35 hours. If that click for the general skills, for the things that come in, were for it all to kind of click in and make sense, and for you, and that click is also, it means that like you're just exponentially better, right? It's just like it, all the elements you've been learning and kind of fumbling with and doing okay and maybe doing better at certain times, and it kind of all clicks and you just become a more well-rounded, stable, consistent player of quality and you're getting better and it's evident. You're getting more kills. You're getting more saves. You're getting more goals. You're winning more games. It's just statistically like the graph is exponential and it's showing that you've already learned and grown. Now, obviously, there's more. You get more comfortable, more fine-tuned. It becomes muscle memory. It becomes second thought. You can identify, like, the amount of hours I've spent in Rainbow, how naturally comfortable I am getting into the game and doing stuff and understanding just from the sound. And It's more about knowledge and skill-based games, which are the main games I like to play, too, and my friends do as well. The amount of knowledge and skill I have in Rainbow Six Siege and Rocket League is because of the time I've spent in it and the dedication. Rainbow, for me, that click hit when I was about 30 hours in. You know, I was about clearance level 40, 45. That's when I started getting exponentially better at the game and I started loving it more. Because now, the uncomfortable, kind of waddling, like, oh, um, you know, I'm feeling a little janky, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I can line this up right. It doesn't feel fluid yet, it doesn't feel like it's clicking. That was over. Now, I was comfortable running. And now, like, I, metaphorically speaking, I, you could run in the game right off the bat. I, but what I mean is I was comfortable making more full, confident motions that required more finesse and timing and expertise. Same with Rocket League. Once you hit that point, you can do that more confidently. But there's still more mechanics and there's still more knowledge you can learn from the more you play to become even more fine-tuned and being able to pull off stuff more complicated faster and more precise and it's, an ex and it's an extremely rewarding experience because you get better at the game you feel better about the game and you want to play more of it because you're finally learning and it's finally the hardest part about getting into games and the reason why it's so hard sometimes is when that learning curve is so steep and when there's so many mechanics at play and you can't quite dedicate the time and so you just feel like okay i'm not gonna fucking figure this out and i don't have the time and i don't want to because there's that other game around the corner sometimes that happens but well-made games respect your time and usually allow you to get to that after a week's worth of consistent playing. That's pretty much it. It doesn't sound like that much in the grand scheme of things, but 30 hours can feel like a lot in a game, especially something like Rocket League. Though with Rocket League, I would say it's about 10 to 15 hours. Rainbow Six, about 30 hours until that magic click happens, at least for me and from what I've seen from my friends. Um, so yeah. Video games are a complex, beautiful thing. They marry all forms of entertainment and dynamicism. They're a social uh, haven 
and uh, they allow communities and all kinds of people to connect in ways they may never have before. They let us learn, they let us grow, they let us overcome adversity, they let us learn other perspectives, they let us talk to people, and they let us ultimately have fun while doing so. And so I think video games is an incredible thing. So whether you're a hobbyist, habitual gamer, or unhealthily addicted, play on. I'll talk to you all later.